At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. All right, time for a holiday mailbag edition of our 15 and 60 on the Western Conference. We will begin at the bottom of the alphabet, Danny. That, that's easy enough. And that leaves us with not quite the bottom of the conference, or are they? No. The, the Utah Jazz. Who, who's worse right now, Portland or Utah? In terms of player, in terms of record. <laughs> in terms of well and also the spurs are at the bottom of the conference but um in terms of record it's portland in terms of play it depends on the day the utah jazz 11 and 18 on the year though four and three since the last 1560 and they've looked to me significantly more competent once they've gotten larry markinen back in the fold they have a negative 7.6 cleaning the glass net rating that is 26th in the nba fifth from the bottom 26th in offense 25th in defense and bpis per projections have the jazz finishing with 30 wins which would be 13th in the west and i'll do one of these pretty quickly from jacob moskowitz basically asking why isn't walker kessler the de facto 30 minute per game starting center and i think it's because the jazz organizationally are just being judicious with him coming back from this injury if you look at what kessler's role was at the beginning of the year he wasn't always playing 30 minutes a game but he was starting every game and usually playing in the mid to high 20s if the game was competitive so i think this is more just being a little bit cautious seeing how he feels rather than some sort of indictment or anything like that of what Walker Kessler is or has been. In their glorious victory to keep the Pistons losing streak alive, Kessler came in and changed the game. The Pistons uh, were killing it at the rim early. And then uh, when Kessler came in, uh, they're able to choke that off and force the Pistons to beat him from the outside, which uh, the Pistons can't do that. So I, I think a lot of it is just timing. They didn't start out the year the way they wanted to with him in the starting lineup. There's the fit with John Collins, maybe even a feeling that those two aren't a great fit. They wanted to maybe move John Collins along. That's possibly a consideration as well. And then just it's coincided with a couple of these moments for Will Hardy of you know we need to play better we need to earn it you know they're not aren't going to be really gifted minutes anyone unless they're Larry Markinen. and so like he was out for the first of those like they started playing better defense with Yurtsevin so they decided to give him a little bit more of a run and Kessler came back started playing well then he got hurt again then he came back again so I I would imagine it'll be happening pretty quickly here uh Danny you'd talked about having uh some good moments that, that you'd seen from Taylor Hendricks 
Hendrix, uh, Brandon would love for you to expand on that, I am sure. He would, presumably. And I, yeah, I have liked Hendrix so far, a player that I was very positive on. It seems like relative to the consensus in the draft process and still, you know, kind of getting into a role on the Jazz is playing, you know, when he's been on the floor, playing about eh, 15, 20 minutes a game, depending on the on the contest. And what I've liked from Hendrix is he's playing with intention, like he's changing ends of the floor well. I wish he was, I think he could be a little bit faster than he's been, but he's, you know, trying hard and some of his better plays come in that function. He's done, you know, some good transition finishes. And then before we recorded, I watched Hendrix steals and blocks. I'd seen some of them in live action, but I wanted to see all of them together. And there were a couple that were really encouraging. There was one where he blocked a Tim Hardaway Jr. three, you know, just like kind of recovered out there and got it, which is good. That can surprise guys with his length. He also had a block on a Davis Bertans three, which doesn't happen all that often. And then there was another in transition, going back to that idea that I had before, where he blocked an RJ Barrett Duncan transition, another thing you don't generally see happen. And so for Hendricks, when I look at him, you know, the eye test on the floor, as he's moving around, he looks more like a power forward than a center to me. Yeah. And in in time, I would love for him to play some small ball five, probably not his starting or closing niche, depending on the team. But I'd like to see him, you know, get a little bit more heft if you don't have to sacrifice his athleticism. One quirky thing, and again, this is Hendricks not having logged that many minutes so far. There have only been two possessions the whole time, the roughly 200 minutes he's played, where a possession has ended with him as the pick and roll finisher. Like, that's, it's only happened twice so far. So again, his role within the Jazz offense is going to be a work in progress. Yeah, I imagine his role is going to be just stand out there uh, on the perimeter, at least until maybe uh, later in, in the season. And, you know, they have Lowry Markin, they have John Collins. It's good that he's getting at least some minutes uh, here with, with those guys out. But yeah, I, I imagine maybe after the deadline, we'll see more of him. But yeah, the thing he'd be... A, the fact that he's making plays defensively is good, right? That's usually the number one thing I want to see for a draft prospect is, can you do the stuff everyone said you were going to be good at? And that's at least something, you know, we haven't seen enough of him as a shooter yet. I think for a future 15 and 60, when we're really going to get into the research, if he hasn't played much, maybe I'll even go back and watch some of his G League film uh, because I, I want to, because the idea of him is, hey, if you're actually make plays defensively at the four, you can move your feet out on the floor enough to not embarrass yourself there and then also hold up find a way to be effective offensively like if you think even just what john collins has been at times but then like an actual impact defender as well that's a very valuable player i mean and even drafting john collins at number nine is not terrible right like that's sure so uh and by the way hendrix he's taken 53 pointers so far for the salt lake city jazz and he's made 38 percent of them so that's you know it's it's only nine games but that's 38 percent on a little less than seven per 36 that's yeah well that that volume is nice too at the four position like obviously he's going to be featured more he's probably even playing some center for them i would guess um this is a good one from hot dog we have a wiener uh if the goal is to win the championship did they blow it up too early uh now i would say a big part of why you would say no is they got bowled over by both the offers that they got if it were middling offers then i could have understood maybe keeping it together a little bit longer and it was the fact that they kind of had the leverage to keep it together that maybe enabled them to get at least that first offer from uh minnesota for gobert which is that was one where it's like ah man you can't really turn this down where they were because they embarrassed themselves in that dallas series right like with no luca they couldn't score against them and they just had like a lot of playoff failures and they were 
healthy in that series uh, compared to a Dallas team that wasn't uh the vibes were not good Danny Ainge who chases championships felt like this is not a championship team now in hindsight last year's West was not like so intimidating Rudy didn't play well last year maybe he would have been better if he were at, still in a familiar system at, in Utah uh, although I still think Rudy's offense has fallen off quite a bit still and it's going to be a problem in this year's playoffs and it was a problem in the last two playoff losses as well like against Dallas so I, I don't like this is a team that was punching below their weight uh on the offensive end I would say relative to the regular season where their stuff kind of worked better so I I don't think they would have beaten Denver I don't think uh, you know Miami as it ended up being I mean, maybe you could squint hard and say that they could have like possibly won a championship last year if you feel like they matched up well against Denver I don't think they did when you consider just their lack of size anywhere other than with Gobert and as good as Denver's defense got in last year's playoffs, I don't think they would have done much better. All right, we got a minute left here. Briefly, um, the fans questioning if Will Hardy's impressive season was a fluke, how much can be attributed to poor roster construction and coaching staff. It's so hard to have a good offense in the NBA without like high-level creation, and I don't think the Jazz have high-level creation right now. And their defense has been worse than expected, but they, their deep roster construction defensively isn't fantastic. It's not like they have, they, they have some great defensive guards, but they have offensive limitations and then they don't have like a true three on this roster you know they're playing they're often playing yeah. a two up or a four I, I, and Keontae George is one of the worst players in the league right now sure. and they don't and, and he earned his spot <laughs> that's yeah, the other exactly so other I'm, not, crazy thing. I'm not particularly concerned and as a lot i mean i i was worried about their offense this year with no mike conley and some of that has been verified and also with the defense like walker kessler's missed a bunch of a bunch of the year and he's there to me their only high level defender who you know is going to be out there so i'm not super concerned about hardy but if it's the, like is he as is his resume as good as like mark degnaltz who had a really good start and then just has kept going eh, probably not all right, I'm going to do like one sentence on the rest of these because I do want to make sure we get to everyone who asked a, a question. Uh, off the mark says, Keontae George franchise point guard or would he be traded like Michael Carter-Williams for a decent or not stellar return? And Michael Carter-Williams won player of the year or, or rookie of the year, excuse me, and was overrated. And Sam Hinkie realized that and moved him. Now, that probably was a big factor in Sam Hinkie's demise. That probably doesn't get talked about enough of just like the way that was branded as no, like he has to keep losing. That's why he got rid of this guy as opposed to like, no, he's, he's overrated. But I, I, that's that Michael Carter Williams trade. That's like kind of a one of one kind of trade. I, I would say in history, uh, back on, on Hardy, I, I was just impressed with the way that they attacked that new Orleans overload defense on the perimeter in the game that we did. Like, I, I think they're still doing good stuff there. Uh, what makes the most sense for a trade to get Zach Levine or someone similar move Olenek and Clark, for some second round picks or stand pat and see what develops you know i i think second round picks uh, clarkson i would probably just do it if that's what he wanted a linux if it's only seconds i might just hold on to him he's a good backup big he's a, and you could resign you know, him yeah yeah exactly you could resign him and he's a good locker room guy good facilitator for someone like clark's or uh someone like george uh, to have around uh could sexton be part of the next good jazz team i mean he's under contract for two more years after this one yeah he's a totally good bench guard and they have plenty of flexibility so sure yeah absolutely i just don't yeah. wouldn't count on him as a starter exactly not not as a starter but could be a part of a part of the roster absolutely spurs four and 23 they Oof. did have one glorious win uh, since we last checked in on them to avoid being where the pistons are right now but still one in five is without checking in on them. Negative 11.6 net rating is horrendous. That is still 29th. 
29th on offense, 24th on defense. They project for a 15 and 67 record and uh, their playoff odds are zero. Mm-hmm. Spurs video and stats said, could it be argued it's optimal for the Spurs to tank hard this year and that playing, you know, 30 plus minutes of solid point guard play could disrupt that? If your goal is to have the absolute worst record in the league, yes. But with lottery reform. Well, they're not even going to accomplish that probably. No, they're probably not. And but with lottery reform, the EV margin between having the worst record and the third or fourth worst record is material, but is not that massive. And for player development and evaluation reasons, I think those supersede the slight improvement in your lottery odds and so you i i would if, if if it were reasonably possible i would do that and i also don't think like this is the kind of a fundamental thing is that i don't think that having 30 minutes of competent point guard play elevates the spurs so far that you're really screwing things up like it's the um there, there are various yeah, players i totally agree on that with these teams like it makes you better but it doesn't make you that much better and with injuries and player availability and everything else like they'd still be bad they just wouldn't be a bit yeah i think that's fair and I, no i i think this is just more that they're trying to like they really believed in this like let's try to develop soan as a point guard thing uh soan really i mean maybe if he gets back into a more commensurate role with his abilities it'll look better but he's one of the more disappointing players to me because you don't i thought he could really be like an awesome defensive playmaker and i saw some flashes from it early in his rookie year in that regard i mean they've been it seems like they've been putting him a lot on smaller players and i think he probably would be better you know guarding the other team's best wing threat he's done some of that too but i i'm but when he was playing point guard less of it but i i really haven't seen the defensive impact from him that i was hoping for we always knew that his offense was going to be a work in progress and maybe some of this point guard stuff has kind of taken away from him moving into that role so yeah i mean he, spurs video stats notes that like the trey jones and vic lions on cleaning the glass look a lot like 30 plus wins yeah i mean here's the thing right if your best lineups are still you know a negative three negative four don't worry there's plenty of other shitty lineups out there <laughs> that that it could drag that down especially to being, for this yeah. team yeah now there's uh, something to be said with the tanking it's not about your chance of getting the number one pick but avoiding dropping below five or six as a, a most likely outcome this isn't that type of draft either from what everyone says now we always say that right in 20 the 2020 draft is probably the best looking right now at least is the best of the last three but also sometimes these drafts you know the number 15 pick like uh, the number 27 pick like in 2013 with the uh, Giannis and Gobert ends up being where it's at particularly these ones where it's like one of these does anyone want to be number one uh Don Bertans had somewhat similar discussion why are we not seeing that on the floor if the goal is to win games and then he says that's the goal right and uh again i don't think that this is so much of a tanking thing i think last year certainly with victor available was but if the goal is to uh, so i think they want to develop the players number one but certainly how good like if you're not at least seeing some kind of an improvement on a night-to-night basis if you're not being rewarded for your effort at least with like hey we you know we were one in ten in our last ten and now we're two and eight uh or, or sorry one and nine in your last two and eight and this you it's harder to kind of get guys working for them to believe in the organization believe in the coach so it would definitely be better if they were just a little more competent than this 
Oh, just a, just a stat because I brought this up in my mail, my Discord mailbag. One twelve point four offensive rating when Wembenyama and Trey Jones play together. One oh two when beyond Trey off. Mm, yeah. Oh, speaking of Trey, Tobias Buner, what do you think of a trade to add Trey Young in the summer? How would he fit with this young team? I think that the single biggest thing San Antonio can add is a dynamic creator, and Trey Young is one of the best ones that is available. He does have specific flaws defensively, and he can be a little bit, you know, a little bit greedy at times offensively, but he'd be a phenomenal. I mean, you you would basically, it would put not only Wembenyama, but Devin Vassell and Keldon Johnson, depending on who was involved in the trade in a much better position to succeed. They don't have to occupy as many possessions being trying to create for themselves, which they aren't good at. Uh, Well, quickly to respond to that, would they want to throw in a little extra to get Trey Young just to ensure the Hawks rebuild going into the 25 through 27 Well, seasons. so that, that's the other challenge of this trade happening is yeah. that, and part of why the Hawks may be reluctant to trade Trey Young in the first place is that they, they don't control their own pick for three years. And incidentally, the team that does control it is San Antonio. And so theoretically, that is it is possible, but that's going to be something the rest, you know, wrestler and Landry Fields consider and all this. So I think you would be, I, I would be calling the Hawks with some regularity to see if Trey Young is available, not expecting it to be. And I wouldn't give up everything for him. But another useful element for the Spurs is that Trey Young is under contract for a while. It's not team control for eight years, but it's still plenty of time. Yeah, and I don't know how available Trey Young is going to be. Now that Jalen Johnson's back, we'll see if they continue to struggle. There could be bigger changes. But let's not forget, Trey Young just put up 30 and 10 in five straight games, right? Like yep. they're just like like to, for a team like Trey Young is the second best player in Atlanta Hawks history. Think about that. Mm-hmm. Like you don't just move on from guys like that particularly like unless there's an overwhelming offer which i don't think that there necessarily would or, be or like there's some sort of clear pressure going the other way and there isn't really right now uh what second draft guy should the spurs target as a friend of the program brando isaiah stewart how about that i like it stewart has been more comfortable at times shooting the ball um i worry again about stewart playing almost exclusively at the four like i think he can bounce between the four and the five but with collins and one already in the fold but yeah i mean if he could get him at a reasonable price i i, I like isaiah stewart i still think he can play yeah because i do think playing bumbanyama at summer center exclusively is not amazing but stewart i think is a, more of a proven shooter than zach collins zach Collins really struggling from the outside has been probably an under-discussed aspect of what's gone wrong for San Antonio this season. And but he still kind of adds that toughness, craziness next to to Wembenyama. But looks like Zach Collins gonna be around for a while because they extended him. Uh, we have forty five seconds, so let's uh, take the rest of these quickly here. Uh, what the fuck are the Spurs doing with Wemby? I think they're starting to come around a little bit now, at least defensively. That's the biggest thing. You let him fuck around whatever he wants on offense. Explore the studio space. They don't really have anyone else to take these shots. They don't. They only have one point guard on the roster to set him up and pick and roll. But defensively, getting him close to the hoop is massive. And then the other question is kind of too big to do. It's uh, like- well, you know what? So who's let's uh let's say let's save that maybe for one of those other for teams. One of the other ones, if it's lighter. Yeah, if if they're a lighter team. Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. 
we ended up having to return it because hey guess what not everyone is the same and then she did some more research and found helix sleep we took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types and uh, helix offers 20 unique matches everybody sleeps differently and helix matches are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences hot or cold side sleeper back sleeper so take that helix sleep quiz find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge it's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home you're like well how should i order this if i can't sleep like yeah you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do i take my shoes off do i leave my shoes on but then my feet kind of hang off the bed because i don't want to put my shoes on the bed and is it weird that i'm laying here for more than 30 seconds you can't tell anything under those circumstances you might as well just order it get it sent to your house get that 100 night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the Bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing. But the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so i was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when i was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that i didn't feel like i needed my jacket even when it was cold outside and things are amazingly durable i proposed to my wife wearing an american giant hoodie in the grand canyon almost seven years ago i still own that same hoodie i still wear it constantly and american giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us instead we move to the sacramento king the kings are 17 and 10 on the season and a strong five and two since the last 1560 they are purely even in net rating which is 18th in the nba 11th in offense 22nd in defense that 11th in offense is surprising but we're still in that stretch where there was a longer deer and fox absence than there was all of last year bpi projects them to win 44 which would be seventh in the west 71 percent chance of making the playoffs and can start with this one from brian simeon stan out of all the teams that 
that haven't had recent playoff success, who do you think has the best shot in the postseason this year? Minnesota, OKC, Sacramento, or New Orleans? And for me, if it's just about who does well this year, it's the Minnesota Timberwolves because their defense is legit. It isn't the most versatile in the world, but they have a ton of talent, and we've seen them defend some some tough teams relatively well. OKC and New Orleans are more in the styles makes fights area where I could see them winning a series against the right opposition, but also losing early against the wrong opposition, whether that's the play in or more likely the playoffs, at least in OKC's case. And then Sack. Well, yeah. You, can I weigh in on OKC a little bit? Sure. I think I might like them the best of this of, of that group of Minnesota, OKC, Sacramento, New Orleans, uh, because uh, particularly if they get the right matchup, I'm, I'm, I mean, I guess Minnesota is probably a better chance of finishing the regular season really well. Now, could OKC make a trade to upgrade? Like, you know, that's uh, e- way easier for them to get better if they want to. We'll oh, talk yeah. about that in their section. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so we can save that. But yeah, yeah. Back to Sacramento. Uh. Yeah, Sacramento, I think if they get the right matchup again, maybe they could win a first round series. They're not they're not playing that well right now. Like I, I think they're you know, the idea of them being the three seed and having home court, it's gonna get pretty difficult for them if they don't have home court, I would say. So I, I think they were, you know, kind of my thought was that last year might be the high watermark for them for a while. I, I feel that way a little bit. I mean, their defense is just really bad. They just have absolutely no way of dealing with guys who can shoot and get to the basket. So I think actually like if they match up against the Lakers, I'm might like them better in that series but any team that can spread the floor at all like the kings have no chance of stopping them and if it, especially if that team can then also have enough size to deal with sabonis at least somewhat in the post i think new orleans or uh Sacramento ends up punching a little bit lower from ben is malik monk outplaying the maximum the kings can offer this year that's 17.4 million using early bird rights i yeah, would say- so that and by the way that's a let's keep in mind that is a four-year deal that that they could offer him yeah and you know it would have the the uh the 8.5 percent races so what what is the number i mean that, that would basically be like four years 80 million in the end i think if you offer mm-hmm. those raises pretty close to that and i and think what, that's enough i think it's enough as well in part because that is materially more than the non-taxpayer mid-level is probably going to be that's looking more like 13 based on the current projections and so for malik monk like that's a lot of money for early on and if the goal is to get an offer you know in the range that the kings can offer then you're looking at a cap space team and while there are cap space teams who could benefit from what malik monk brings to the table like orlando would be really fascinating because it just he doesn't necessarily have to like start or close but he could be a part of a lot of what they do but generally speaking there aren't like you don't need to freak out that much about those kind of those kind of teams because i don't think malik monk is going to be their number one target this isn't quite the rockets with fred van vliet or what we thought might be the magic with fred van vliet my instinct is yes it's not definitive 100% yes, but it is yes. Yeah, I think you're right there. And uh, is there... I don't see another team bringing Malik Monk in as a starting shooting guard, nor would they give them a lot of years, which I think that the Kings probably would. And maybe you could see a team sort of go in that Bruce Brown type of approach. But I think if the Kings offer enough years now, should they is another question. But I, I think they I think they have enough in the tank there. I don't I think Monk is just a little bit too limited. Like he's not really a point guard, not really a shooting guard defensively. You know, it kind of basically your exact profile of like a very good bench scoring guard and that sort of guy gets paid around what the kings would pay and particularly when you can throw in that four years right if you look at like what jordan clarkson got paid at age 30 malik will be a little bit younger you know this is sort of like that's probably the best sort of case scenario and that that was a little 
different because Clarkson got some extra money this year with the renegotiate and extend. Uh, but in Clarkson got, you know, years ago, he got four years at you know about 14 million a year with a player option. I mean, they could always throw the player option in. That's, that's back when it. he was arenas yeah. limited, if memory serves. Yeah. I mean, uh, no, 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 no. This is the, this is the contract with the jazz. <laughs> <laughs> the, oh okay. <laughs> not he not the one after the right two years. Same range. Yeah, it was four years, fifty million with the uh, the first time around in the summer of twenty sixteen. Uh, Owen says the Kings getting OG or Siakam would be incredible. But what about less talked about guys like John Collins, Keldon Johnson, Sadiq Bay? Uh, he mentions Cade if the Pistons want to blow it They're up. Not the Kings, getting Cade. yeah, that that wouldn't happen. Uh, but yeah, just kind of another. And th- those guys are a little bit different of profiles. Collins is kind of more of your traditional power forward, and uh, Johnson and Bay are j- just give you more uh, on the wing. Bay, they don't really have the space to pay under the tax next year if they want to bring back month. So that that would be a little bit of a concern. Johnson would fit in kind of, but I think they just really, if they go that route, they need to get someone who's like a really good defensive player. Like that's that's your and maybe can hold up enough as like your Harrison Barnes replacement who will just like make a couple of threes the way Keegan Murray has evolved defensively this year is very encouraging if you could put another guy at power forward who like either would give you some rim protection or could be that combo forward who can really get into guys on the perimeter that would be an upgrade defensively on what Barnes is giving them that would be I think uh, the goal probably the easiest way that they can make this team improve defensively and not give up too much offensively I completely agree who's next here the Portland Trailblazers seven and 20 on the season one and five since the last 1560 i am going to see them in a matter of hours at chase center their negative 6.6 net rating is 25th in the league 27th in offense and a respectable 18th on defense bpi has them finishing with 24 wins which would be second to last in the west and they're not making the playoffs and i want to spend a little bit of time with this question from fensner asking what tangible growth have you seen from Anthony simons this year what kind of player could he be if the blazers are lucky and i want to note at the outset that Anthony simons has only played in nine games so far this year so the there are some very real small sample size concerns and you know when a player's coming back from injuries and everything else so it's like we're, we're talking about a player who's logged about 300 minutes this year um but that's it something that can be really hard to appreciate in the moment is when a player keeps their individual efficiency about the same but dramatically increases their usage or their role within the offense and so simons he's hovered around 58 percent true shooting each of the last three four years but but has transitioned from being an 18 usage guy to 25 to this year 31.6, also with the highest assist rate of his career, admittedly in the small sample size. So right now in these nine games, Anthony Simon's total usage is 45.5. That is in the realm of Donovan Mitchell. That is in the realm of Cade Cunningham. And so he's doing more within the Blazers offense in part because they need him to. And individually efficiency wise, individual efficiency wise, he's doing pretty well. He's getting to the line more, the more that might be more just like having the ball in his hands a larger portion of the time. It's not like, oh, he's transformed his game. But it is good that Simons is converting so far this year 70% of his shots in the restricted area. If it persists for a longer sample, I will say that is real growth. And the general picture, though, going back to the kind of original premise, is I believe Simons is becoming a better version of the same type of player. But when you look at both the criticisms that levied on him by me and others when Lillard was there and Post, is that I don't think he's the best player on a very good offense like at least right now like he's you know 24 years 
old. There can be some improvement in time. So what he profiles more to me is like a dynamic secondary option. He can do some of that through initiating himself, but also being a good shooter. And that is a useful player to have. However, you know, the different what one of these the the bunching of Simons and Hero and Maxi and Pool, one of the big differentiators is one, can you be the primary player? And two, like if you're not the primary player, what other stuff can you do? And so for me with Simons, because he's still so bad defensively, it's harder to make it work on a very good team. But a lot of franchises, whether you're bad or you're not, need a player who can do well with the opportunities and create more of themselves. Yeah, whether Simons can truly play point guard is a really important aspect of this. And because we know what happens to your defense if you play him at the two, unless you've got, you know, mid-career George Hill or Jason Kidd in the end of his career or something to play next to him. And, uh, you know, I feel like he's showing more in that regard. And this is really going to be his first. He had some moments when that year that Lillard was out, but then he also got shut down. And... Getting his playmaking usage up into that 15% range it is pretty solid. That's above the 90th percentile league-wide. Like that's, that's looking pretty good. And as you mentioned, he's had this huge burden on him this season. I mean, you don't want to trust the efficiency numbers too much again, because as you noted, this is a, he's played nine games. But I think when you look at how he's playing, the returns have been good. I think he's actually you know, gotten a little stronger. He's looked a little better to me defensively this year than in the past. So yeah, we'll, we'll keep an eye on it. I, I think playing him and Scoot together, like maybe that could work out because Scoot has actually shown like some juice on the defensive end so far that's probably been where he's been most impressive and simon certainly shoots it plenty well to play off the ball at the two what else we got here brando asks if the blazers should take expiring money for Aiton and cut their losses i don't think any team's going to offer that like Aiton, his contract looks to be underwater at the moment so if it were presented for me yes because i don't think Aiton is that type of player also worth noting that the blazers getting off of Aiton's contract in and of itself doesn't really give them any additional spending power for the summer of 24 it would for 25 or if there were another move like let's say they were able to get off of brogdon's last year or do something with jeremy grant that didn't involve taking back a lot of long-term money so the spending power change isn't that big but i I think ayton imperfect as he is and like he could still get better but we're you know i i think he's overpaid but that's also why and i think other teams are like that because the suns desperately wanted to move him for at least a year and the deal they got maybe they evaluate Yusuf Nurkic more highly than we did, but doesn't exactly indicate that the market was out there. I talked about that in my Discord mailbag when it came to John Collins, where it's like, you can be pretty sure that other teams didn't like John Collins because of what Atlanta accepted, even if their financial pressures were a little different. Yeah, I certainly would take expiring money for Aiden and cut my losses at this point, but I never believed it in the first place. They did, so I don't think they want to go that route. He's the only center of note with Robert Williams out as well. I think you you make, if he had been playing this whole time, perhaps you would have a different approach. Aiton, I mean, man, like his defense actually, you know, I think has been pretty solid at times. You know, that's that's something that maybe he's not getting enough credit for because he's kind of always been deemed as this like offense first soft player. And he does 
you know, he's not unbelievable defensively, but he like does the center things reasonably adequately. And he's been doing it on this team where he's not getting the ball that much either. Now, one thing that's really disappointed me is like his touch seems to have kind of disappeared. Whenever I see him, he's just like, cause you remember he used to just be like automatic in Phoenix and it didn't bother us as much that he didn't get to the free throw line, although it still did some, because he would just make every 15 footer or if he got the ball just short of the dotted line, then he would be able to turn and get like, you know, a six, seven foot hook shot, but he shot a very good percentage on those. And like just watching, he missed just two awful layups in the last minute of the Wizards game where you're just like, man, he used to be automatic on these. Like what happened? Definitely a concern. And again, I believe that there is a better version of Aiton pretty pretty available but it just hasn't quite materialized like if you put the best moments for him and all these different facets together you'd have a better player and we hoped it would be there it just hasn't so far Matthew Gibbs asked if a contending team should trade a late first for Matisse Thibel my instinct is no Thibel of note has been a more consistent shooter over the last 18 months he's the bizarro Josh Hart where he's actually shot more and shot better as a Portland Trailblazer than he did previously in this case for a different Atlantic team the Philadelphia 76ers but I still you know I still have questions on whether he would do that for a great team and Thibel a wonderful overall defender he can do on ball stuff but he also can be extremely destructive off ball but if you're giving up a first round pick for a player who's paid who's paid you know over 10 million a year for the next two years then you have to be pretty confident that he's going to be in your closing five unless he's like the last piece for you and I don't expect a team to to evaluate Thibel that way well the Mavs gave him that offer sheet it's a shame that the Mavs don't really have much in the way of spare first round picks they need to hoard those for more of an impact player than Thibel is but we've seen it with Derek Jones Jr. who's I think was kind of their Thibel backup plan particularly with playing with Luka and Kyrie and with the way Thibel has improved his ability to shoot the ball that he would have been a, a pretty darn good fit there probably better than Derek Jones Jr. just because he makes more plays I mean that's really the the biggest thing that Dallas needs is someone who can make plays in addition to just guarding the ball but I think another team actually you know where I think Thibel would be a really good fit Danny is in Atlanta another team though that just doesn't really have that kind of late first round pick available now could Dallas offer like a pick swap to get Thibel something like that in, in a you know 2028 pick swap with Portland would that be enough I don't know. Well, also, That's an interesting also question. Atlanta, depending on the structure of the trade, they're not looking to take on another 10 plus million on their books for a future seasons, depending as long as things hold down. Now, maybe they make some other moves and it, it opens up some wiggle room, but they don't have a ton right now. Uh, ben, this will, we'll do this one quickly. What would the Blazers need to show the rest of the season to feel good about keeping Billups as the head coach going forward? So this is year four for Chauncey. Is that right? No, year three for Chauncey Billups. And so he has a five-year deal. I'm guessing that's a five minus one. I don't honestly, given where they are, not a ton. Like they've competed this year. Their spirit has been good. This is really the sort of team where a first-time head coach would probably make more sense. I don't think they want to eat any guaranteed money on Chauncey's deal. I, I think they've actually showed enough this year to feel okay about keeping him going forward. Like they're not going to be competing next year. I think he's making these guys earn their minutes. Their young guys are defending. Everyone's playing hard. They punch above their weight, you would think, defensively. We'll see what happens in the rest of the season, particularly if they move Jeremy Grant and or 
Brogdon, but everyone seems to like Chauncey Billups. Like he's, there's there isn't this fe- Silasian feeling of just oh he's lost the team, and part of that is because he has like good solid vets uh, on the roster as well. Like I think as long as everyone's playing hard to me, that's good enough at this stage of the rebuild. And maybe the decision point comes after next year, particularly once the guaranteed money on his deal is over. But would I extend him? No, I would not extend him unless it were you know a nominal like you know pick up pick up the option type of thing uh all right let's move on here to the phoenix suns 14 and 14 two and four since we last uh, checked in on them they were not competitive yesterday night uh, eric gordon is grossing about his role a little bit i don't think in a a way that i consider destructive or anything i think they're right that they probably with bradley beal out eric gordon should be getting more shots and more touches because the suns have gotten predictable i think teams have really seen how the lakers played them in that in-season tournament game and since then their offense has not been very good particularly when only one of durant or bookers on the floor those guys are getting swarmed and the suns haven't been the dominant offensive team that they need to be if they're really going to compete and frankly that they should be even without bradley Beal. i think that also connects oh wait when you do the rest of their stats. yeah yeah sorry sorry i i went, went on a rent there yeah they have 1.0 net rating 12th in the league 14th on offense 15th on defense and they are yeah, they project for the nine seed right now 41 wins only 41 percent chance of the playoffs yeah and you're going to react to what i was saying about the sun's offense i was and i was going to connect it to the question by jk baker what do you think of the suns beyond their big three and broadly speaking a lot of those guys have underperformed offensively relative to my my expectations yudu watanabe is taking a bunch of threes but he's not making them at the same rate as he did with the yeah. Brooklyn Nets. well and you have to actually play to take a bunch too which he, he kind of yes. hasn't been yeah so 33 for him little I, I've actually liked a little defensively a fair amount um, but he, he, you'd love for him to make his shots at a little bit of a higher rate and you know like the limitations that we've all known about Josh Akogi offensively I think a lot of those have been in place and then like Katie Bates Diop whose offense is not the primary sales pitch for him 49% true shooting like the the idea that yeah. these guys are going to benefit from the gravity playmaking offensively of even if it's just Durant and Devin Booker two of the best players in the league it has hasn't really been there i expect plenty of regressions to the mean there like players who just are doing worse than we expected now grayson allen's been kind of overall better i think he's been making his twos at a really high rate from what i recall relative to grayson allen's usual standard and then defensively there are you know there are plenty of reasons to be concerned about the suns there i expressed that a lot at the beginning of the season but i haven't from from an individual perspective i haven't seen anyone more like oh they've been they've been way way worse than i expected of their like that that kind of like collection of minimum guys so you know i think for me it's been more the offensive end where those where the that collection has disappointed rather than defense yeah now still 124 offensive rating with booker and durant on the floor together it's just with one of them that uh, things have kind of fallen apart uh, and your hope that these guys would find a way just with some veterans and frank bogle to be better than expected defensively they haven't been a disaster but part of that too is that they avoided being a disaster by playing more of these defensive guys who then are going to limit your offense from being like the sky high type of offense 
that it needs to be but especially for these superstar teams that are disappointing a little bit and don't have a ton of depth and i think they did as well as they could in the minimum market but it's still the minimum market for a reason you're seeing it now with the bucks and chris middleton like chris middleton being able to actually play 30 minutes a game is just so useful for the bucks just even though chris middleton is not as good as he used to be particularly on defense just to get one more guy out there who knows what he's doing who can create that everyone else can rely on who can play on the ball or be a threat shooting the ball off the ball not get totally destroyed defensively i do think that getting bradley beal back and if that ever happens will just have some huge down the chain effects in terms of who's playing what the lineups are being able to have two guys who can do something on the floor almost all the time i think that is going to make a pretty big difference to these guys but hey they've gone a third of the season playing 500 basketball and nobody's running and hiding yet in the west uh, thankfully for them other than minnesota but you still i mean if you're not going to be a top four seed in the conference like good luck making it to the finals which is that's the standard for these guys it should be yes and from yao barrios um what adjustments can be made without trades to fix this team like are there any lineup changes and i think the bigger part is just getting guys healthy and getting guys playing better i i don't see anything that frank vocal is like really doing wrong from a personnel perspective so that is you know i i'm sure certain like there's certain maybe lineups that they could go to a little bit but yeah i, I think i think he's been done a good job of finding of giving everyone a shot trying out some different things at at various points i mean maybe there's a a feeling that Sabin lee is the only true point guard i mean he does add some stuff because he's the only guy who's going to push the ball on this team he's the only guy other than maybe jordan goodwin who's going to like get into you defensively and force turnovers uh and Sabin lee's jumper is very broken though i mean even just seeing him i think it was before the first game of the season warming up i was like yeah this is it doesn't look like it's particularly close so you know so he kind of is like you know he can handle the ball a little bit more than like a josh Kogi can but he still has, has some of those same limitations i would say so i mean should they give bull bull a shot you would think like bull bull probably doesn't work too hard i'm guessing is the reason why even though he had those flashes for orlando last year that they waved him frank vogel when, is when, not going to just when yeah when reward this you many like teams that. when this many teams decide they don't want to keep a player even at a low price like because you think about even preceding orlando how many teams weren't interested there's presumably a reason for it that doesn't, yeah maybe, and, and i mean maybe look, the, the, the talent that he showed last year and like they could use his skill set so i think frank vogel just does has no confidence in him to execute at all that's that's got to be what it is you, you would think I mean, because like i was saying like they've given everyone else a chance at various points so yeah i do think they could try to give eric gordon a few more on ball reps uh maybe but you know he's also 35 36 like that's mm-hmm. not that's not a panacea either but and and, yeah. and then from john ledyard um if everyone sons was healthy at once who'd be your starting five and the phoenix is one of those rare squads where for me it would be context dependent i think who are you facing who's playing well for your team presumably you know you know three of them with beal and booker and kd and then i think kata bates diop is is at times going to be the best kind of like other player to fill some of their gaps um sometimes you'll probably want a stronger point of attack defender especially in the regular season where you don't really want get devin booker to take those responsibilities we still ha- don't have enough data on how bradley beal is going to engage defensively this year because he's only played you know like like a couple hundred minutes so far and then at kind of the big spot it would be great if you had enough size that you could play kd and like kbd as the four and the five but that's really hard to do and so you you could go in different directions yeah. but i, don't I, think I mean they need more athleticism like bates diop i mean maybe he needs to just get more of a shot 
But the fact that he's not him not working out, like he was probably the best bet that they made because of what he could theoretically do. And it's just a shame that that's not happening. Or or you do. I mean, that was either of those guys would be the ones that you would want there to just get more size on the floor because just generally having size is very useful, right? Like if you're if you have to play another point guard with Booker and Beal, that's always kind of why I felt like the whole point guard thing was overrated. Those guys were healthy because playing a point guard and then playing Booker at the three, now you're just going to be too small defensively unless you have like some unbelievable center, which they don't. Um, yeah, one other thing I'll mention with them too, and I don't know where this guy is health wise, but I do think that Damian Lee is someone who could help them if he comes back. I mean, he did shoot very well last year, but I think more because particularly if teams are going to continue to try to trap that Damian Lee is a decision maker, ball mover, cutter. Like they don't have that many guys on this team who move off the ball, who really just like know how to attack out of a four on three outside of the main guys. Like he could provide that. I'm just, I'm concerned with his health situation. And he was kind of, you know, on the borderline athletically of being good enough before this, that maybe he just is not going to make it back. Got a minute left here. Another question from John. Uh, what is the primary skill set they need to add in a trade? The Suns don't really have a lot in terms of resources. So it could be a situation of like you get what you can get i would love to have some sort of other option who could like viably play the five and maybe stretch the floor or do something else and then it's the same basic thing as before they can somebody who can shoot enough that they will be guarded and defend at a level that they won't be attacked yeah and the more the bigger and more athletic that guy is the better i, I still think yeah. you like this whole point guard thing again it's it's hurting them right now but i want to see what they look like Th- their team is built around having two guards who make over four $40 million a year and what like and those guys are going to play and they're going to be the main options like that's the theory of your team you can't change that now and so I would be more focused on still con- concentrating to find things that are going to complement that theory of the team and if that theory of the team doesn't work that theory of the team doesn't work but trying to change that at this point I think is too difficult anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time so when it's time to dress up rather than dress down i highly recommend inochino they were the official outfitter of my wedding i got my tux from there all my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well i felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly because when you go somewhere else you're not going to get something that's made for you so why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom Room, rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you and not only does indochino have the suits that made them famous but now they've got everything blazers pants women's wear outerwear designed and made for you hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from european wools linen cottons tons of colors tons of patterns you can customize things like the lapel the vents the pockets and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style level up your game with indochino go to indochino.com use the code capspace user capspace we talk about all the time here on the program you get 10 percent off any purchase of 399 dollars or more that's 10 percent off at indochino i-n-d-o-c-h-i-n-o indochino.com and don't forget that capspace code to let them know that you came from us at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 
21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. The Oklahoma City Thunder are 18-8 and eight on the season, 4-1 and one since the last 15-60. They are third in net rating in the NBA, plus 8.5 per 100 possessions, seventh in offense, fourth in defense, one of the only teams that's top 10 in both. Projected to finish with 52 wins, which will be third in the West per BPI, 99% chance of making the playoffs, and could do this one quickly from Steve G. Should the Thunder push in some of their chips and see if they could pry Donovan Mitchell out of Cleveland? For me, the answer is a pretty clear no. I like Donovan Mitchell. I think that his stock has been at times unfairly maligned but the combination of his contract not being certain you know we we don't know his commitment to OKC and his skill set not being exactly what they're looking for Mitchell has been a flawed defensive player for a lot of his career he's also been a more ball dominant player he's not what they need even if his level of quality would really help them yeah you do wonder I think at some point they need another guy like that's not Josh Giddy to me and it's not Jalen Williams yet so if you want to compete this year they could use another guard but yeah I think putting that in on ton of Mitchell I mean the other issue with Mitchell is just like does he want to stay there <laughs> right like that's that and I don't love the fit between he and Shea Shea part of why their defense has been good this year despite the fact that they don't have like unbelievable individual defenders up and down the lineup is Shea is your smallest player uh, unless they play Isaiah Joe and so like that's that's part of what makes Donovan Mitchell as good as he is offensively kind of a hard fit like is he coming in to be your boy like all right Shea should, could guard twos as well but you're giving up a lot of what makes your team really good this is why I think Lowry Markkinen would be such a good target for me for OKC because he can play next to Holmgren he can also play some backup center for them he allows them to keep this five out spacing that they have he can give them another mismatch attacker if they want to go more that route and he's got enough beef and rebounding that he could be give you more there at the four than they have and of course he's an unbelievable shooter and he lets you run some different action I mean if you imagine they replaced Josh Giddy with Lowry Markkinen like I do actually think this team would be like a championship contender right now pretty young so maybe they wouldn't get there but that would be really exciting to me right whereas Donovan Mitchell I'd be like okay yeah you know what like this would work they got a lot of talent let's see there's only one ball Donovan Mitchell they're all already kind of small now you're adding another defensive liability in how does that work whereas so yeah I I don't think he would be the guy I would want to push in hard for uh thread killer OKC says thoughts on the thunder when they inevitably do some esoteric salary cap move for a few more second round picks and that's it at the deadline totally fine with it depending on who's available they don't need to rush this they can if the if the right player is available but uh, I talked about this with Jared Dubin in a real gym radio that should be out this weekend about OKC really has one big swing maybe one and a half left and they have roughly two to two and a half years to do it they don't that doesn't have to be the 24 trade deadline it can be a 24 offseason it can be 25 trade deadline and I, I will not kill them for standing pat with the team this good this young I think a little bit of a history lesson here is in order because we saw what the philosophy that Sam Presti used the last time he had a team that was maybe even more talented than this one definitely more talented than this one but they are once again very much ahead of schedule as they became in that 2010 season 
season and certainly in the 2011 season where they won over 50 games both years after just coming completely out of the wilderness i think they have a better coach now than they do then and did then incidentally but sam Presti's thought was well i just want to continue to build i want to build slowly he even didn't want to give out that deal to harden all right fine we'll throw that aspect out of it right now though he did kind of move harden forward for future assets which ended up not being that sexy in the end they got steven adams out of that deal and a couple other guys didn't work out lamb so i think that and also worth noting that first round draft picks were much harder to come by they remember there's that reverse protected one that the rockets uh, had gotten that was guaranteed basically to be a lottery pick it's hard to get that sort of deal in the future but they didn't really augment their team at all and then the trades they made were for young guys Deion waiters and ennis Cantor that they felt could comp- complement their stars hilarious that ennis Cantor was deemed to be like a comp- good compliment to anybody uh and then they ended up having to pay those guys they ended up losing waiters uh, in free agency a year later as well but they wanted to get guys that in theory could like continue to grow with kevin duran and russell westbrook they never made a trade they didn't have this many picks obviously but they never made a trade using a first round pick to get a complimentary player they always needed like a three and d guy right now i would say they also need you know a real four on this team would be like who can who can shoot it still be athletic do some switching now the price for getting that player is much higher than it used to be it's become even more prized right like do they would og and Anobi and then paying him would that be the guy they'd want to go to they also have the issue of like the guys who are available are usually towards the end of their contracts is that guy going to want to stay in okc so i think maybe what i would be looking to do would be you know give up one of your crappier first round picks going forward or maybe you know worst of these two picks in 2027 some that sort of a trade and see if you could just get one more kind of lower end starter level of player who can play the three or the four it doesn't have to be you know the absolute highest end there or maybe maybe a couple of seconds for another like athletic backup center type because uh, Jalen Williams is a good player but he, he's I don't know you still maybe want another option there is a little more defensively versatile that would be the sort of thing I would go for and I'm sure over the coming weeks and months we will have much more discussion on who that could be guaranteed and then the last question we can t- tackle um, at least part of it they want uh, Red Fork Warrior wanted to know how many conference finals various teams are going to make over the next 10 years but let's so limit it to five ten seasons yeah. is just too is, far there, there's there's no there's no way to look ahead 10 seasons i mean if you look if you look back 10 seasons the la clippers had blake griffin deandre jordan and chris paul on their team and then they moved all those guys and then got Kawhi leonard and paul george and james harden <laughs> like there's there's just no way you could predict this stuff over a 10-year period but so okay so so san antonio i think it's gonna take them a few years to even get into that mix so maybe maybe one and then if we're doing five years if it was 10 yeah 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 so let's, let's make it five yeah i mean i guess that was kind of the point for but yeah i think five seasons like san antonio is maybe the one team where that time horizon makes a little more sense because they because they have a player who's under team control for most of that 10 years um okc it's a high bar i'm gonna go like one or two yeah um, I'll, I'll, I'll i'll go two i'll go okay. two because be, it's particularly because of the asset trove that they have 
Memphis, and I do think that Sam Presti will be a little more. I, my hope as well is that he will be a little more aggressive this time than he was last time. Sure. And then Memphis, I'd say it's zero or one. They're good, but they're, I mean, they've had trouble with health and you know, the roster is going to get yeah. really expensive. And, and it's just not a team that seems like more of a regular season group, even in the best of sure. times. But, Houston, I mean, like they're, they're not going to have a top 10 player on their team at all. Like, right. So it's just, it's <laughs> tough to get to the conference finals without that, even yes. as, as, uh, as much quality depth as they've had at times. Houston zero. Uh, they, they have players who could propel them. But yeah. They don't. They're, they're that. This isn't the type of team that they are right now. Dallas is a big old wild card. I'll go with one, but it wouldn't surprise me if it was more than one, and it wouldn't surprise me if it was zero. The one thing that's interesting for Houston is that they're going to have cap space again in two years if they want it, and particularly if you if they bring back Jalen Green on a lower number than his capital, like they can e- they could even get probably close to two max spots if they wanted to. That would mean moving on from Fred Van Vliet. So, and Shingun will be, yeah, he's going to have a small capital. That's something they could really use because uh, he mm-hmm. was drafted late. So that that might be how Houston gets into it is in the summer of 2025 to get, if they could get one more guy, we'll see what, if things kind of tilt back towards free agency a little bit. My theory is that they might kind of hope it might, but we'll see. Uh, yeah, and Dallas, I would say, I mean, because your problem is you got Denver. <laughs> They're not going anywhere over the next five years. And yeah, now I don't think there's another behemoth in the West. I mean, would you say OKC over the next five years might be your pick to make the most conference finals outside of Denver? I think it might be for me. Yes, I think it would be for me. Wow. How, how crazy is that to say, Danny? That Especially they're they're they, that they're back they're back this already. Group, this group hasn't even won a playoff series yet. <laughs> but like they're back. They are like they have an eight point five net rating. Yeah. The New Orleans Pelicans, seventeen and twelve on the year, five and one since the last fifteen and sixty. Their plus two point eight net rating is good for eleventh in the NBA, thirteenth in offense, tenth in defense. BPI projects them win forty seven, which will be fifth in the West, and ninety one percent chance of making the playoffs. Graham McQueen says, "What the hell are the Pelicans going to do with Zion if he isn't a star level player? Keep him around unless they're convinced that he can't help. Like Zion is too talented. You 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 almost never." See see guys like this get traded for a logical reason so you hope against hope and if it ends up being a point that it becomes clear that he's not then you make him well even then i don't i don't know that you do make a move right because then he's negative <laughs> salary and like what what's the point of moving uh, like like i said with well, John, he's not I, that negative with the structure of the contract yeah and this question probably came in before we talked about this topic a couple of days ago when the news about his non-guarantee came out but like i was saying even before they gave him that max contract it's like yeah what else are you doing seriously <laughs> it's, it's just like just proceed with this guy i think they they found a good structure john made a good point in his article about it that the biggest value is probably motivating him to go forward and yeah i mean eventually they would you know would they just say yeah brandon ingram i mean brandon ingram is probably worth more if he just resigns another contract and then could be moved we'll see how big that contract is probably would be the max but even so there's probably a team that would be seduced you would think and so yeah i mean i think they're just like maybe it just gets so bad that they're like hey this guy's not guaranteed would you give us like a couple of firsts for zion if they're just like man we have no way of competing but even being like in the playoffs for a couple of years or a playoff contender like the team the team that they are now is like totally decent right like i don't think you trade zion and get better necessarily no. and he and, also and gives you some upside the other fundamental conceit here is that zion being good enough to so to elicit real a real return in a trade means that that he's good enough that you should keep it. Fair. Uh, yeah, so then then Eagles 
2001, same thing, what Zion Ingram trades could look like. Ingram is you, interesting. You could, you could trade Brandon Ingram for the third pick and draft Scoot Henderson. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. What? Like, who? What sort of a team would be interested in Brandon Ingram? Like, the Bulls? Like, could you trade CJ McCollum and Brandon Ingram to the Bulls somehow? <laughs> Thematically, yes. Realistically, kind of hard. The, the Bulls, like Brandon Ingram, is just the perfect player for the Bulls. Now, Chicago doesn't have first round draft equity. I mean, is there? If you well, could no, is, get, is it the is it the perfect player for the Bulls? Someone who also has deeper Chicago ties than Mister Ingram does. <laughs> like, is there a package the Bulls could come up with for Brandon Ingram? And again, this is this is we're just you know what they could look like, right? But this is a team because Brandon Ingram is very much a floor raising, get you to a four two loss in the first round against the number one seed sort of player he'll have a couple of good games in that first round that are good enough because he makes enough mid-rangers that you you get excited but he doesn't really defend he's a hard fit uh he'll shoot some off the ball but not a ton uh you know so he's not as much of a threat there but yeah particularly his defense is not a great fit so but you know he could just be maybe what DeRozan has been for the Bulls these last couple years so if you I mean maybe you would even be I don't know if you could move McCollum let's say it were just Ingram so Kobe White would be a great fit with this team right so like Kobe White would be a great fit Kobe White and Caruso and Patrick Williams does that get you there salary wise it's pretty close right yeah they're pretty close and the Bulls conceptually can they can trade I would describe it as three first round picks they'd have to use first allowable pick language with the one they owe to San Antonio but then the third one would presumably be the Portland pick I mean you know who else would probably be in that deal (laughs) Vucevic God damn it. Yeah, probably would. You're like, oh, you wanted a four spacing center next to Zion. Congratulations. Um, yeah, it would be potentially potentially something of that flavor. And and Ingram, I could see him drawing drawing interest from various teams. But what New Orleans just such a weird concoction of talent. So I would love it if they had a center who was a better fit. I mean, one of the more wild ones would be is Indiana interested in Brandon. Yeah, I was actually I just brought up their cap sheet as you were yeah, talking could you could you do something involving ingram and turner oh my god or, we're back here or, again i i do think turner's defense has slipped a little bit that's kind of a concern it, it has me. but you would have better surrounding talent with new orleans and potentially light lightening the load for him could help um there yeah i, I mean i i think i'm looking pretty good for saying this uh well actually i, yeah, I wanted new orleans to go after Kristaps porzingis this offseason uh or, but I don't think Porzingis would have wanted to go there. I also wanted Houston to go after Porzingis. As it turned out, they have Shingun, so they didn't need him. But that that would have been interesting. But yeah, I think he's proving just like, actually, you know, with the strides that he made in his career in Washington. Anyway, that, that's too much of an aside. But yeah, you know, and what else does this Pelicans team need? Because I, I think what if you're moving Ingram right now, well, number one, they're not going to do it. Especially because Zion is so much of a question mark that the, like they want to remain competent. If something happens to Zion, that you need someone to be a scorer on the second unit also. So I don't think it would happen. But what do they need if they move Ingram? I mean, they kind of have. So then you're starting Herb Jones, Trey Murphy. I think I think it really would be something at center is, is what you'd be looking for. So your, your idea with the Pacers makes sense. But Ingram obviously is a much more valuable player league-wide than Turner. We've seen the Turner possibility, trade possibilities many a time we done with the pals well let's do this one quickly from okay. from rafael um pick one team to miss the play in P- rockets pelicans or warriors rockets, rockets. Oh, to miss the play in completely um because they're the idea is that there are 11 teams right now in the west i see 
I think probably Rockets, particularly they've been benefiting defensively with some kind of with some shooting luck. So I, I think the the Pels and Warriors have more proof of concept. Now, if Golden State has Steph Curry go down, then maybe For that's like, how even, it happens. Even ten games, like, yeah. it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be like half a season or anything. I don't know. They could go three and seven or something. And, and but yeah, I, I think the Rockets. What, what happens to the Rockets if Shingun gets injured, right? Or Fred Van Vliet gets injured, right? Like that. Well, all of these teams, like the Pels, have the most depth. So I think the Pels are the least likely to miss the playing completely because they can withstand an injury at virtually any position. Yeah, it, it feels like they could lose three guys and still play 500 basketball. <laughs> or they can have their full team and play 500 play basketball. Play 500 basketball, <laughs> sure. All right, the Wolves. 21 and 6 we talked about them very extensively on wednesday might go a little shorter here with with them this time four and two since we last checked in on them had a nice bounce back against the lakers though they didn't have lebron james in that game the second night of a back-to-back fourth and net rating at 8.1 offense is 17th defense is number one bpi likes them for 54 wins number one seed in the west playoff odds 100 percent. that's high all right this is a great question here well let's uh actually let's do that one last because it'll i think it'll take the most time let's start with this uh toughest matchup for each of the teams you expect to have home court i think we can say we expect the wolves to have home court at this point in time so i i think the toughest matchup is for them is a team that can really spread the floor very well uh you know so this is a team we expect to be in the bottom golden state i think would actually be a pretty tough matchup for minnesota uh i think although minnesota's ability to totally wipe away the rim would be a big i think that would be a, a pretty interesting series obviously we're assuming draymond Bill Bear has here. has freaked them out somewhat over the years not sure. as much as like ad does but sure uh, dallas yeah. would be a weird dallas would be a really weird matchup for them yeah you know yeah, uh, Dallas is a team I expect to be in the bottom half of the bracket. Who? Let's just just run through the teams real quick. I, but yeah, I think Dallas Dallas might be for just when you think about tough matchup, like not necessarily even that Minnesota is going to lose, but just compare. Like I actually don't think the Lakers are, w- bother them that much uh, because I do think Minnesota's defensive strengths match up with them pretty well. And the Lakers, well, and Min- Minnesota's yeah. really good if you have like one or one and a half playmakers. I like their defense a lot better, especially if you don't have good spacing. Whereas Dallas, having guys who can incredibly shoot and two guys, so you can't necessarily use like throw McDaniel's on on everyone. I, I think that's the type of team they can have with or. Or it's Steph Curry because he's just Steph Curry. Um, I don't. I, think I, oh, oh no, I got one for you, Dan. How about the Kings? I don't think the Kings' defense is good enough, I, and they like they don't have a guy for Ant. Um, I, 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 I mean, the Kings match up pretty historically have done pretty well against them uh i mean they they spread the floor so much like here's the thing like i don't know do you think minnesota can stop the kings well enough yes yeah but I, it, I, it, w- it wouldn't it wouldn't be like an 80 20 series but it would be i, I would pick the yeah i guess i guess to me it's just that minnesota their offense doesn't do that much that's unstoppable and if you are a bad defensive team just by shrinking the floor i think you can work your way into competence against them and then i think the the Kings offense works about as good as it can uh, against Minnesota. It, it could be a weird series like that Memphis Minnesota series a couple of years ago where it's like each game is close and it's just like who hits a couple of shots in crunch time. Yeah, I could buy that as plausible. Uh, yeah, I mean, here are the teams in the bottom half of the bracket right now, Danny. Like, I like their matchup against the Pels and the Clippers. What about the Clippers? Like, the Clippers are in the bottom half of the bracket right now. Uh, the Mavs rockets uh, they would be fine against lakers they'd be fine against. you know suns the suns blew them out it was on the second night of a back-to-back admittedly uh but that, that's another kind of interesting one like I, th- I think the teams to me that i like more against the wolves are 
these kind of all offense groups because I think you can like I was saying you can find a way to just like overhelp your way to competence against this Wolves team on yeah, the other it's, end. It's it's sort of a bizarro version of what why I think Denver is a more dangerous title team than some do is just the idea that they're so good offensively that if you get into that kind of series it's going to be hard for them to lose. Minnesota's kind of in some ways the other way. I like Minnesota. Yeah, but I I don't think Minnesota's defense is unsolvable, particularly if you can neutralize Gobert. Like the Mavs, for example, they're just not reliant on getting to the rim. Like if if you're going to say we're going to give up a bunch of threes to the Mavs, which you are because they have Luka Doncic and Kyrie like and I don't I don't think Jade McDaniels is like a great matchup against Luka either Luka's too strong for him probably so I, I would say the Mavs so we're saying a team that I'm pretty darn sure I mean there's this West the West is going to be completely insane again yep. I, I mean that the Kings are like the four seed right now yeah maybe maybe I'm too early in dismissing that like just their net rating is not great so I sort of I'm expecting them to fall off but like they, they banked some wins here uh okay uh, quickly yeah. I can do this one quickly from Jay Anger yeah. this version of Kyle Anderson shooting continues is he playable in a playoff series for those who aren't tracking this as closely Kyle Anderson is shooting 9.5 percent from three if you want the totals numbers so far on the season that is a whopping two of 21 but when you take this few three-pointers like Kyle Anderson's been hovering around one to two per 36 minutes over the last few years whether you make that one or two actually matters a lot less because teams aren't really guarding you anyway so I think that being concerned this year is overstating it whereas being less concerned last year was understating yeah you know it was funny when he said is if this version of Kyle Anderson shooting continues I was like well is he shooting it really well is that what he's talking about I was like I was like it just doesn't matter either way like it takes so long not only does he is he a reluctant shooter but he takes so long to get it off that you can always just get there like he's gonna he's gonna shoot like two per 36 minutes if that uh most of the time all right this is great here Larry you are given a time machine back to summer 2022 and can advise Tim Connolly just before the Gobert trade knowing what you know now would you still recommend him to do it yes or no only none of this I'd try to get him for cheaper bullshit no yes or no as great as the Wolves have played and as central as Gobert is for that success if it's a straight yes or no I'm a no I guess that comes down to two things number one is they can't keep this team together after this year if you could say to me we're gonna have a a two to three year run as good as this year, then I do think maybe you can argue that it would would have been worth it. But I'm not sure how realistic that is given the age of Conley, given the financial situation, given Gobert. He's been better this year, but he also you know is going to get older. Yeah, this is his age 31 season, by the way. Yeah, I mean it's been a great surprise that he's been able to get back to this. So we've seen some some big guys like Brooke Lopez continues to be an extremely effective rim protector, even though he's older. So maybe it's possible that Gobert could keep this going. I also just don't, I still I don't see them making the conference finals this year we talked about when the trade happened what would it how good would they have to be to say that this is worth it and they've kind of been this this season pretty close to what i thought maybe a little bit better in the regular season but pretty close to what i thought they might be last year and again we'll see how like they've been very healthy this year other than mcdaniels but that's that's those where their big three is basically played the entire time ants missed a few games being banged up so let's see what happens in the playoffs i mean if they are a number one or two seed they got a pretty decent chance i think particularly if they're a number one seed pretty decent chance of winning at least one series 
you know, winning one series in one year and being the number one seed, like they certainly will have like revitalized Wolves basketball. They're getting some good home crowds now. I still think, yeah, the answer would be no because and, and door number two, they yeah, they could have used these resources, either kept them and, you know, like they Walker Kessler was the pick that they made and then included in the Gobert trade. Yeah, they I think it was it was five first and two swaps, if memory serves. And yeah. plus they could plus have, uh, Walker Kessler. Yeah, plus Kessler. Oh, I yeah, he was one of the picks. five first. But yeah. Yeah. And um, and so they could have either used some of those resources in a different trade for a different player or just drafted a bunch of dudes and hopefully some of them would have stuck and not. Well, and uh, and there's the ant timeline thing, too. That's exactly. The other that's thing. where I was going. Yeah. Is that you you could have been a little bit worse now in exchange for being better when Anthony Edwards is, is at the at his moment. And so that's part of why for me it's a no. If they like win the championship this year, if they make the NBA finals this year, I am open to revising. But, but the it, I was always critical of the trade. And part of it was that the juice wasn't worth the squeeze. And maybe it will be for this one year, but it's just not sustainable enough. And yeah, I mean, like, what, what if they just had Walker Kessler on this team? And then they would actually have a point guard going forward in future years as well, because they would have the flexibility to acquire one some other way. Or yeah, I, I mean, I still think that you want to be with Anthony Edwards going into year five, year six, year seven at his peak. That's when you would have wanted to be peaking. So yeah, I, I think now if they make it to a conference finals this year, maybe I change my tune. But again, it, then what happens uh, after this one year? You're trying to set yourself up for sustained success. And yeah, we don't know that road not traveled. And partic- particularly, Danny, because Kessler was in the trade. Yeah, he's showing he's not Rudy Gobert this season and he's been hurt and stuff, but he still fills that role for them. I think they still could have had a very quality defense with Walker Kessler. And Walker Kessler, by the way, is better, I think, on offense than Rudy is. I agree. Uh, maybe not as good of a screen setter, but he also can finish around the rim a little bit more. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. The legends are true. With overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. The Grizz, 8-19, and 2-4 since we last checked in on them. 2-0 and since Josh Moran came back. Negative 5.8 net rating is 24th. 28th on offense, 9th on defense. They project for the 12 seed at 31 wins. Playoff odds, 0%. That seems a little aggressive to me. I wouldn't put it at 0%, although there still are a lot of these teams fighting for the play-in who are, you know, at least 500 right now. Where do you want to start? I want to do this question from Brandon Starkey. Should the Grizzlies give Zaire Williams a change of scenery? And the answer isn't, A, first of all, 
you don't owe it to him. Like you don't just because maybe Zaire Williams could be better somewhere else. Like you, you drafted him, you have his rights, you should do it. And Zaire still kind of trying to find that form that he had his rookie year, which got us so excited, but up to 33% on six threes per 36, which is actually about what he's taken every single year. It's just the proportion of those shots he has made has varied a lot. And if another team is willing to give you like top of the market value on Zaire, sure. Like you, you consider it, you go there, but Memphis to me, they need players who can, who have high upside, who can fit in with the, the niches that they need from everything else. And I think Zaire Williams is a better bet if they're kind of like lower end guys than any of them. Like I like him better than Conchar. I like him better for, for like for that kind of niche that you need than, you know, like all, I mean, you could go through the, the guys they drafted last year, like Laravia and like Arati. I like him better than those guys. So unless you find a team that values him in a way that you could get another bite at that apple that you like better, I'd keep him. Yeah, he was very raw coming in. He's thin. He missed an entire year due to injury. It doesn't really make sense to me to move on from him at this point you're not going to get anything for him so let's write it out now he, he i guess they already picked up his option so maybe you could go the wiseman style trade of just like hey we think this guy's not gonna be worth it next year they do have a bit of a tax crunch coming if they if they feel he's just totally useless to them he does make it's only six million next year too right it's not like he's making 10 that's that's so small it doesn't really matter still i, I think you just hold on to him and then next question here what they should do to get Vince Williams Jr., who's been a two-way starting for them, closing for them uh, at the three. Six four, but shoots a little better. He's got some strength. It might even be possible that it would make sense to start him and bring Marcus Smart off the bench. And it still have Marcus Smart close, obviously, but just uh, Marcus Smart, I think, could be more effective. To, ba- to balance the roster a little bit. Uh, and and uh, yeah, also just give them a little bit more shooting than Marcus Smart provides. I think Vince Williams does do that. In terms of the roster, just after the trade deadline, they do need to do it. Although, I don't know. Let's see where they're at at the trade deadline, right? Like they, they could always just have him go into the offseason he's not on a two-year two-way right he's just on a one-year i believe it's a one-year and and then you could you have those you have that really strong like the two the two-way qualifying offer is hilariously low and so you could just just bring him back bring him back at that point you have a lot more leverage and it's different for the grizzlies where like they're not their their absolute best case but the realistic best case is probably the play in so that means you're getting the seven or the eight seed they could use yeah williams not even that i mean that's that's like the, the odds that are so low they're so low so yeah. so the opportunity co- i mean you do run into the like games played limitations and all that type of stuff so like and and i also think that memphis is overvaluing the guys at the bottom of their roster like i was criticizing them for this with they're like oh how are we going to keep bismack biombo stuff but they're you know like and maybe yeah. you just do like a two-for-one trade or something yeah, like that so, at the something deadline. will happen at the deadline where they end up moving some of these guys if if they're out of it i would sure. say so yeah I, I think it'll it'll resolve one way or another if you put a gun to my head and say head and say hey they have to trade or wave one guy right it is tough because they've got the williams laravia roddy boulevard of broken dreams that they probably don't want to give up on yet uh guys who are first round picks i mean based on performance it's laravia right like he has he's just done nothing at the nba level so far um but that's that stuff. They traded up to go get that guy last year. Apparently, a lot of teams wanted him. You know, Xavier Tillman is their 
gonna be their starting center at times Derek Rose has three million for next year I mean I I, don't, I think they wanted him around you know sort of just like a good vet mentor they they value that so would they try to trade Biombo? he'll be guaranteed by the deadline and then they part of their other problem is that Steven Adams and Brandon Clark are both out for the year and they're still on the roster and Kennard is like not playing at all either Kennard does have a team option for next year I still don't think they like they're not going to pick up his 14 million so maybe it, the trade him or cut him would be the way to go if he's especially if he's still is like struggling to get healthy so I do understand why it's difficult but I think it'll resolve through a trade one way or another that they get that extra spot uh BC for three said that job brought the good vibes back to Memphis absolutely did center still whole given their injuries um apparently Brendan Clark said he'll be back at the all-star break we'll see on that um I thought he had another it, surgery that seems unlikely well particularly because it won't where they're likely to be then it won't make sense to bring sure. him back um but so basically vc asked um if like should they devote some resources to us to a big and target and and my answer is no particularly when you presumably have steven adams coming back for next year and he's you know under contract at a meaningful number so the narrow the narrow target that you're aiming at if you're going for going after a big for them is somebody who do, simultaneously doesn't cost much who is both really valuable for you this year and is valuable conceptually for you next year it's hard to get somebody who who fulfills all those requirements at a, a relatively low salary so if you can pull it off sure if you can pull a rabbit out of a hat by all means but i i just don't think that you need to force it for this year or that you you know, like that that's the right way to, to devote your resources when you consider everything else you consider how bad their offense has been when john morant has been unavailable so far even with the growth that desmond bain has had so i wouldn't use like my first round picks for a temporary need when this roster is not so deep that it will be that they have no problems once everyone's back last one here what are the chances the grizzlies make the playoffs and the play-in i would say play in you know 10 percent and playoffs like one or two percent i'm gonna go higher on play in i'm gonna go like 25 30 but well, this isn't a formal watt though um and yeah. then making it making it out of that because it's probably going to be two road games for them yeah the 10 Hello? the 10 seed making it is you know that's probably like you know on your in your average year probably you know like a 15 percent at best proposition exactly because they have to they have to win two road games so i would say if they make it into the play-in it's higher than that for them because they're a better team but it's yeah. still you know like maybe maybe if they make the play and it's like 30 to 40 percent and so yeah it, it's low the la lakers danny the los angeles Lakers. sorry 15 and 14 on the year one and five since mm. the last 1560 they have discussed the potential ramifications of the play-in they are still a positive net rating but only plus 0.5 16th in the league 22nd in offense eighth in defense the lakers are projected by bpi to win 40 games yes that is below 500 um that'd be the 10th seed in the west and bpi gives them a 31 percent chance in play- making the playoffs i personally believe that is higher but not like ridiculous it's part of why i picked their under this year and i want to start with this question from um i'll say it, josh josh nutel um it could be pronounced differently the lakers have been rumored to be interested in making another deal with a contract such as d'angelo russell and rui hashimura if you ran the team what would you be looking for who are some realistic targets and trades to make the lakers are in a good place 
that they don't need offensive creation as aggressively, especially because LeBron usually tones down at the beginning of the season and ramps up. So between LeBron and Austin Reeves, and if we're saying D'Angelo Russell's in the steal, and, you know, Anthony Davis is a high volume player for a non-initiator. You don't need that as much. So ideally you want players. It's the old standard trope of players who can defend their position, who can hit open shots and who make sense with their foundation. And the good news is that is a fairly common need. The bad news is most players who can do that aren't exactly easy to come by, especially when a team is a little bit resource poor as the Lakers would be. I will say one thing definitively, that person is not Zach Levine. Yeah, I would say so. I think it would be nice if they had one more really reliable score. Like, I actually don't think DeMar DeRozan would be an awful fit. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be fine with that. They also have the defensive defensive players to kind of surround him. So, like, that part of it wouldn't yeah. be a problem. And he it can would score. be another, another reluctant shooter, though. Yeah, but he can also score without a lot of spacing, which is sure, nice. he's done it a lot. Yeah, yeah, he's got a lot of practice with that. It'd be nice to if they could spread the floor around him a little bit more. I think it's either, you know, you're another real three rotation guy we'll talk about cam reddish in that role in a second here in another question but also a guy who skews more offense at the two but doesn't totally suck defensively would be someone i would like just as a way to get up more three-point attempts I mean, they're trying to do more of that this year. They still don't take that many. Uh, not that he's going to be available, but I actually think Clay Thompson would be an incredible fit on this team. Mm. Even even this version of him that doesn't defend as well. Uh, you know, I don't. It seems like Golden State's kind of riding the ship a little bit now. We'll see what happens when Draymond comes back. I mean, I still think Clay will finish his it career would, there. So it would be the weirdest trade for like five different reasons. But Lonnie Walker, <laughs> can they can they get him back? Yeah, they could use one more guy who could be athletic, attack, and transition. I do think they miss a little bit what he brought them last year. Now, I mean, the other thing they could use is a backup center who can defend and shoot and also play next to AD. They thought Christian Wood could be a reasonable version of that. He's been in and out, mostly out of the rotation of late. But I don't know that giving up a first for that kind of guy really makes a, a ton of sense either. Yeah, I'm not sure who there is. John and I are going to really go through the trade market probably next week, like who realistically could be available. But I'm not sure that there is a guy that I love. You know, if it's one first for DeMar DeRozan, with the one first that they can trade, that 2029 first, top four protected, is that the route they would go? Would they, like, is Caruso the guy? For them coming back like yeah having that great guard defender would be pretty cool he is shooting it better this year so may- maybe that's the route they go is just to try to be a monster defense again yeah sorry i don't feel like i have a, a great answer there let's take this one from matt given cam reddish's career long offensive struggles we need to need to produce at a higher level to justify a starting spot on a team with championship aspirations i think his defense has been good enough this season but offensively yeah i mean he's not doing much right reddish is only attempting four three-pointers per 36 minutes and making 31 percent of them that is a a big concern and I mean considering the quality of opportunities that he gets with LeBron and Anthony Davis often out there with him 52% true shooting on 30 on 13 usage is concerning deeply deeply concerning and when you think about the adjustments that playoff teams make and they I, I think a lot of teams would just not guard Cam Reddish and Reddish isn't one of those players who from when I watch them who drills his open shots well enough that you change that consideration it's the idea oh yeah he'll make a couple if you leave him open but if you're taking so many other good things you're making everything else harder 
for those stretches, then that that's tough for them. And that's part of why Reddish has bounced around, among other reasons why Reddish yeah. has bounced around. And, and Reddish, he's 39% from the corners and below 30% on above the break threes. And, and really, uh, out of that spot, it really would be nice to have someone who would be a threat uh, above the break. But it, it would be nice for them to have. And I thought Malik Beasley maybe could be this for them. They just went away with, I guess he had a couple of cold stretches and they just decided they weren't going that route. And, and they made the conference finals last year. I thought maybe he should have gotten a little more run against Denver to see if they could boost their offense a little bit. But they were, I think they right, rightfully decided that their best chance was trying to go all defense and slow them down at least a little bit because they at least had the personnel to do that. But so, a two that you could actually run some play fours, plays for out near the three-point line would be nice. What else we got here? We got a uh, minute um, 30 left. From, from Nimish, uh, Tody, between Jackson Hayes, Christian Wood, and a Rui LeBron small ball five, what options do you like the best for the backup five for the Lakers? I choose the Meteor um, if I'm allowed to. Um, but it's, I mean, you you can do Rui and LeBron, but I don't think that's a regular season solution. You need somebody to eat those innings in the regular season, and none of them have really done it. I mean, you can, yeah, I, I don't I think, think Hayes has actually been fine. He's been fine. I worry about like where that can sometimes go. Um, and then just very briefly from NFL Film Analysis, is there a reasonable trade that can make the Lakers a true contender for you? Not off the cuff, especially when you consider that the Lakers can only really have one first rounder to trade and they don't have a ton of supremely positive value. You know, like like Austin Reeves is important to them. You don't want to really move him in a trade. So the margin, between, even with the top of the West being weaker than we thought, now could they win a series against these some of these teams? Sure. But to win three straight Western yeah. Conference Series? A, a, a true contender you think of like if they when i think of a contender i think of a team where if you told me at the end of the season this team won the championship i would be like yeah okay i, I could have seen that coming not that i would have picked that but i like yeah i could see that coming whereas a non-contender i'd be like oh no like i i would be shocked if they won it right like that's that's sort of mm-hmm. the the line to me and so for me there isn't there isn't a realistic trade that the lakers can make that pushes them over that well so, so if they got DeRozan, you you don't see them as a contender mm, probably pro- not against the best of the best what, what if they got DeRozan and caruso Okay, if you consider that a reasonable trade, sure. I mean, they could maybe throw everything in. I, that maybe not. That that might help. I, I mean, the Bulls are, of course, uh, famous now for over all of their players are worth yeah. every single bull is worth everything. What, the what if they trade. just got Caruso? I don't think they're. I don't think their offense is good enough. I mean, it could be in moments, but I mean, remember the same problem against the Nuggets. Like, can you score enough and can you slow them down enough? Yeah, well, maybe maybe enough. someone else would just beat the Nuggets for them. I agree with you that the Plus, Nuggets the Nuggets are the team that I'm just. Just like oh man i hate this matchup for the lakers um true that da- dallas is actually another one because you're just like wondering like i don't think the lakers can do oh, enough that to that is a dallas. series by the way that i would truly love to see for uh, a couple of different oh reasons. i mean there are a lot of series in the west i'm getting pretty fired up for and hopefully it will involve a healthy version of our next team the la clippers 17 and 11 six and one since we last checked in on they did lose at okc weren't too competitive Kawhi leonard out with that hip issue didn't play again today and boston absolutely destroyed them at home in a matinee 145 108 boston these last two boston games have uh 
certainly served a little notice after they lost to and this is without Kristaps Porzingis too and they were without Jason Tatum in their last game and they put up over 140 in both of those but yeah, yeah still yeah. By, by the way Boston now fractions of a point behind Philly for cleaning the glass top net rating yeah now there's and by the way all today's stats uh, we're recording this early on Saturday so these are before today's action but yeah six and one since last checked in I'm now six and two fifth in net rating that's going to take a beating after today sixth on offense Danny that's starting to get pretty exciting to me seventh on defense projecting for the four seed 99 chance of the playoffs that seems a little rich to me still uh got a couple of clips questions here let's start with sal on evita zubats do you think that evita zubats is good enough defensively for a deep playoff run does he pass the nate test not the Dene test the nate <laughs> so zubats has been one of the league's best room protectors this year and he's been that for a while and i think there have been times even where he's gotten too short of a leash from agreed Ty Lu. It usually happens more when he'll he'll go through these bouts of fumbling some passes or missing some finishes around the rim and he's uh taken on the Pau Gasol mantle of league's least exciting dunker uh, with a plum. So it really looks good for him offensively, but he'll he'll get some offensive rebounds, good screen setter when they want to go to the, the pick and roll game, although they'll do that a lot against smaller players instead. So the question comes down to versatility and I think and he He's starting to do a better job on Nikola Jokic this season, I would say. Uh, mm-hmm. Hasn't been like totally dominated there yet, but you never yeah, want to I say mean, He did a great job in that game that I watched for, right. I think I watched that for 15 and 60. Yeah, and I thought he was okay in the game that the Clippers lost in Denver as well, which was pretty close. That was like right after the trade. So they need him there. You need him against the Lakers. Like neither of those teams are like spread pick and roll teams that are just going to be like, oh, you can't play this guy. The only team I look at right now that you're like, oh, yeah, we can't play Zubats against them is Dallas. And they went small against Dallas and they still beat them. They just they have more talent than Dallas. You know, maybe they could exhume PJ Tucker for that kind of a matchup. I do think maybe even they should try to play him more against Dallas. And they they did. Like, so it's just a question of like, is he good enough defensively? Do I think he should play 40 minutes a game? No, I don't think so. I think and I think Ty Lue has kind of acknowledged like 25 minutes just in terms of his overall stamina and how hard he has to play is probably a good number for him. But I would expect him to be around that number against most playoff opponents for sure. The other benefit for the Clippers is, I mean, their personnel has changed so much since a couple of years ago, which is, it, it's wild when you consider how the principles are the same, but all the surrounding talent is that there aren't many circumstances, even if Zubats is in closing, where you can't find 20 minutes or 25, you know, like in that sort of range, there aren't teams that have that kind of personnel. Yeah. And so he's still in the rotation. Sometimes he's probably not going to close for you. I agree with you wholeheartedly that Ty Lu has been too hard, too tight on him. You know, I don't want to dehumanize, but too had too narrow leash for for Zubats but there still are um so there are still places to play him and that's really good news for the Clippers because in my opinion I know that some disagree with this I don't think they have enough rotation players overall to like withstand like they can't completely excise Zubats and really survive unless some guys really step up from where they are right now um maybe that would involve more than zero PJ Tucker which is what they have mostly been doing and then we can answer this question um from Brian 
Brian Stan or Brian Seaman Stan. Um, do you think that James Harden could have more success in the playoffs in in this role with the Clippers compared to the high usage roles he's had in the past? And one worthwhile note, I was looking through Harden's playoff stats. His usage rate, the year in Brooklyn and then the first year in Philly, usage rate isn't everything because he has a high Harden is a high assist guy, but they were below 24% both times. It was higher that last year in Philly for a couple of different reasons. So this, you know, the what we saw from Rockets Harden hasn't quite been the case, you know, playing with KD, obviously playing with Joel. But the answer to the question to me, more success, yes, because you can, I, I, Harden's been, at times he's been more confident shooting the off-ball three, not all the time, but some of the time. And the Clippers can put him in some better positions to succeed defensively. That was a big part of why I hated Harden on the Sixers conceptually was just that there wasn't really a way to make their scheme work. And so asking him to do less and having other players who will draw the defense's attention, you know, if Harden is getting the third best perimeter defender on teams in certain lineups, he's going to be able to eat a fair a fair portion of the time. So I do think that the Clippers will put him in a better position to succeed. Whether he will actually succeed, eh, I mean, age 33 season, age 34 season, eh, we'll see. Perhaps the better question here is do you think the Clippers can have more success in the playoffs than previous James Harden teams have had? Mm. Because I don't think that James Harden is necessarily going to like put up better stats or whatever, but it's more just that, yeah, if he's kind of more off the ball, passing, facilitating, take a few step backs at the end of the clock. If he just, you know, is saying after a game, yeah, the ball didn't get back to me like he did uh, in that game six loser against the Heat in 2022, that's okay. They got other guys. They got Norm Powell. They got, of course, Alpha Kawhi. They got PG. Like those are guys who've been 30% usage guys. And they're also not as reliant on James Harden getting the ball as, say, a Joel Embiid was last season. Now, maybe Joel shouldn't have been that reliant on Harden in the end, but that's how their team was built. He's showing maybe this year that he can find ways to be more effective without being set up that way. Uh, Let's see. Yeah, so so that's and Harden is finding ways to generally be efficient. I think if James Harden has a series like he did against the Celtics last year, where hey, he has two really good games, and then the other two he's kind of just around and facilitating. It's just and but he and he can at least I think defensively he's set up better to succeed with the team because he can guard the four. You know they they don't necessarily have to do as much switching, or if they do, then he's got a big center and three other good defenders around him in a lot of these lineups. I think it does look a, a lot better for him defensively where now he's not killing you either now would they ever consider like not closing with him if he's really struggling I don't think they would go to that necessarily but yeah I, I think that he's not going to shoot them out of the game and if he's passive they'll survive I think is kind of is the hope at least uh, now would it be nice if he actually played really well four game five four times in seven games yeah they won't win a championship without that but I think they can still be more successful potentially game to game at bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet365 21 plus only must be present in virginia if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help call 1-800-GAMBLER terms and conditions apply the legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes. 
The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. We can go to one of Harden's former teams, the Houston Rockets, 14 and 12 on the season, 4 and 3 since the last 15 and 60. They are plus 4.6 in net rating, which is 7th in the NBA, 18th in offense, and a robust 2nd in defense, though, as you noted previously, opponent shooting luck is playing a significant part in that story. That is maybe a part, I don't know how BPI is completely projected, of why BPI projects the Rockets to finish 40 and 42, which ties for the Lakers for 10th in the West, 26% chance of making the playoffs. And I wanted to briefly, I did more work on this than I needed to um, from this question from Rafael Verduzco. Thoughts on on Aaron Holiday. Um, thought he's been an awesome backup, maybe good enough to start for another team. And Aaron Holiday, someone whose game I've been very familiar with, not only because we went to the same college, but because he's bounced it around and been like on a lot of teams that I, I you know, that I cared about. And so I, I wanted to do some like statistical basis and of course, watch the Rockets fair amount. And first off, Aaron Holiday having a much better season efficiency wise than he has before 50. 59% true shooting on 16 usage. We'll get back to that usage rate, but it's built on some stuff that I consider unsustainable. 43% on, on six threes per 36, both the rate and the field goal percentage are career highs. You hope it's real. You know, that's a lot. That's a lot to ask. And then holidays improvement from two. It's not like he's getting to the basket more or making more of those. It's just that he's making a lot of his floaters and mid rangers. Generally speaking, you think of those as regressing to the mean. And the other part of it, and this gets into what Rafael was asking is, is the Rockets offense has been strong overall when Holiday's been on the floor, but you can split his minutes roughly in half. The minutes where Holiday is playing with Fred Van Vliet and uh, and Shingun is on the floor for a fair amount of those, the Rockets offense is great. You know why it's not? Why it's great? Because of Fred Van Vliet and Alfred Shingun to a lesser extent Aaron Holiday. When Holiday is the lead guard 110 offensive rating, which isn't terrible, but it's also not great. So the Holiday having a good season, definitely want to praise him. The Rockets have needed that, but no, he is not a starter on a good team and you wonder if there will be a regression because the things he's doing well typically regress and the things that he's struggled with in the rest of his career he's mostly still struggling with if a good coach say Ime Yudoka and a not good coach say Steven Silas coach identical teams what would be their difference in win expectation now this is unfair to Silas I've noted this a number of times it's not only Alperen Shagun is better it's not only Jalen Green is better it's that I mean just look look at the minutes if you go to the basketball reference page for the Houston Rockets in 22-23 and just the number of guys who are not even like playing any minutes in the NBA this season who were like mainstays for this team it's just massive right this is not just like oh yeah like you took over the same team and now they're better not only have you added in like above average vets in Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks and and shored up uh, your bench as well but it's not like they just had like they didn't even have guys out there they had like less than guys out there and all of them were young as well it's, it didn't even it wasn't even like they had like middling vets out there who could at least like not fuck up even if they weren't going to do anything like Corey Joseph's out. they didn't even have like Corey Joseph's out there these last few years that said i think 
and you're you're and even the 18 to 19 bucks or the 14 to 15 warriors those are probably the teams that you would look at the most of a coaching improvement uh, oh, actually another one you could look at would be the 99 to 2000 lakers where you had a, a really good coach taking over for kurt rambus <laughs> uh so you know kind of going from that uh, you know, we're like high 40s, low 50s to like absolute dominant team again with some personnel changes. But the the coach also gets something out of that personnel, maybe in a way. You know, I, I don't think people thought like, oh, they got Brooke Lopez for the BAE. Now, like that, man, he's, Mike Buna is so much better of a roster than Jason Kidd and Joe Prunty. Well, they did play Tyler Zeller in a game seven the year before, but nonetheless. So I would say it probably actually matters more, maybe even at the top end, if you really have the talent to take a team from like a 40 win team, 48 win team to like the best team in the league. Now, nobody wins 60 games anymore now. So that's, that's a little bit different. Might change this year, but I would say 10 wins is your max and probably more like five like or, or at least in terms of like you know your adjusted your wins according to like your net rating right like you could have you could have been really bad in the clutch one year and, and very good in the clutch the next year and boost that up a little bit and that part of that would be coaching three minutes left do you want to talk about the um kind of the jedi mind trick defense concept yeah yeah because this is we got asked this about new orleans and also comes to mind here i do think there's something for at some point if you're allowing just a crap load of three-point attempts particularly if you're doing other things well that there can be something to the idea of that you're you could expect opponent three-point percentage to be worse than like if the opponent if you are making the opponent take more threes than they would like to take i think that that does, some of them are going to be bad is the yeah idea, that's right? going to be more above the break it's going to be more bigs shooting um now if you're a team that gives up a ton of threes and you give up a ton of shots at the rim probably not right if you're if you can really be like hey you know what we're taking we are actively taking away other stuff so the only thing you can do is take threes that is like teams generally take as many threes as they feel comfortable taking so if you're making them take more threes than they are comfortable taking and then also like this is in the new orleans section you know here and there it does matter to get more of a contest right like it rarely happens but three-pointers get blocked sometimes right like if if you're mm -hmm. if you got a herb jones type of guy or draymond green closing out to the corner or victor webinyama surprising guy you know if you could block you know a three-pointer a game on a closeout or, or really surprise a guy in a closeout like generally three-pointers are taken because they are open but maybe there are a few more at the end of the clock there's a few more that you think you're open or like you're a great shooter who's like shoots in a really small window thinks he could normally get off but you get a little more of a contest and you think like i do think there's something there at the margins on both ends and we have seen like kevin pelton has noted this that the celtic teams under brad stevens and his uh, people who've taken over for him like those or uh, that's had a, a is appeared to have more of an effect like this this has kind of stuck a little bit from year to year and, and if you're the pels might be one of those teams because they just pack the paint so much and help off of guys kind of one pass away where you're just like you know it's not like a quote-unquote good three maybe that gets in guys heads a little bit so i i don't like all right if the opposition is shooting 29 percent from three or 32 percent from three in the season that will regress but do you say for sure all right i know this 
team is going to shoot league average against these guys the rest of the way is that what i'm pricing in no i think maybe if there are certain types of teams like that i would be willing to give them the benefit of the doubt of being a little better at opponent three point percentage than others a stat that i find really interesting and and i just pulled this as we've been talking so i would want to do more research of the teams that give up the top the eight most are the eight lowest three point percentages so far in this year in terms of location effective field goal percentage so location not actual yeah every single team is either in the top 10 of location effective field goal percentage or the bottom 10. (laughs) So so that means, so you have Houston, Minnesota, Golden State, Milwaukee, and the Clippers. All of them are top 10. They give up, they're giving up a low percentage from three, but remember, this is location. And then Portland, New Orleans, and Philly are all in the bottom 10 of opponent location effective field goal percentage. I, at some point, that, that seems like ground that is very fertile for looking into some interesting stuff. All right, quick ones here. What is Shingun's absolute ceiling uh, from Tom Pearl? And it's like baby Jokic. You know, maybe maybe it's Jokic, you know, 2018 Jokic or something like that. Like he's he's just he'll never be that good of a passer. He's not going to shoot it as well from the outside, but he could be a little bit better defensively. So yeah, like the cross between Sabonis and Jokic. Like that's that's kind of what I, I've always looked at for him. And I think he could be better defensively than either of those guys. And then the other question is, is the time for the Rockets to ditch Jalen Green? What realistic return could they expect? You know, if you could get two firsts for him, I might start to think about it. But really at this point, like they've achieved as Tim McMahon likes to say step two in the rebuild now like they're competent again the next inflection point is that summer of 2025 which we alluded to a little bit earlier on the program where that at that I probably would not extend Jalen Green unless it were at a ridiculously favorable rate because of the opportunity cost it but it's really the inflection point for him is either next trade deadline for a team that actually would want to give up something for him or then the following offseason but I certainly am not at the point yet where I would be willing to give up anything in terms of 2025 cap space to retain him he would have to show more than he has so far there yep we're pretty much in agreement on that respect but we should move on to the golden state warriors this will probably be a little bit shorter of a section only two warriors questions that's shocking i got more warriors questions than that in my discord (laughs) um 14 and 14 on the year four and two since the last 15 60 they are 13th in overall net rating 15th in offense 14th on defense bpi projects them to win 45 which would be sixth in the west and a 79 percent chance of making the playoffs we could start with this well, well danny quickly ball. before that sure i was glad that espn stats and info and kendra andrews had this stat yesterday let me see if i can find it exactly it had seemed to me that the warriors never blew anyone out but also never got blown up and as it turned out that was entirely correct last night when they beat the wizards uh, in the jordan pool return game at home was the first time in 14 games the warriors had not played a clutch time game it's been wild they've been a fun team to watch (laughs) i'll tell you that uh i mean and but it's crazy because and in most of those games they've actually had the big lead and blown it rather than that they've had some crazy comeback in the celtics game they were down 17 they came back but most of those they've been like up 20 and then the other team has has come back and beaten them in clutch time by the way the teams that have played the three most clutch minutes so far this year the suns the warriors and the bulls all of them are around 500 in total record eight and ten for the suns 12 and 11 for the warriors who had a stretch where they couldn't win a close game and then they've won a couple recently so so the warriors excuse me the warriors are 12 and 11 in clutch games yes and they're 14 and 14 overall so yep. they've played five non-clutch games the whole season out of 28 they're they have they're more clutch than the lakers in this specific way but this is cl not kl <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> it, it's it's astonishing. And um, so the question from Squid Nose Ball, Warriors seem to have trouble giving minutes to everyone on the roster. What do you think their playoff rotation looks like? And should they make moves to consolidate the roster? Consolidation trades are largely a myth. You can't really make that happen. They can theoretically consolidate the rotation. And one challenge is that it's it's about who's playing well. Like, I think that Gary Payton II, when he's available and, you know, healthy and playing well, he provides a necessary element for the Warriors, whether he's closing games or not, because he's their best point of attack defender. And now that Klay Thompson can't really shoulder that burden, Wiggins can in stretches. But between Wiggins and Gary Payton II, you have that. Then, I mean, the rise over the last week or so of Trace Jackson Davis is really fascinating. Like, he could supplant Kevon Looney as a, not in the closing five, but in like the crunch time possibilities group. Yeah, and then, I, I think Jackson know, Davis even playing next to Draymond is something that they should explore. They should. And then between, you know, Moody and Pajemski and the, oh, some of the other perimeter guys, I think it will sift itself out to, to some extent. And for, I mean, I, I personally think that Moody should be getting more opportunities than he is. But overall, I think that... Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, who who is he supposed to be playing over? Moody? Everyone uh, says I, this per- all the time. I personally like him as an overall player. You know, if Pajemski's going to hit a billion threes, then it's a different question. And he's dealing with a, a, a back issue now after that hit that he took in the... Um, in the was that the Celtics game? Yeah, from uh, Nemeus Keita. From Keita. And so I, you know, using what I consider their expected value, I think that Moody could be better in some of those circumstances. But also you could argue that both of them are going to be excised from the rotation because if, you know, Gary Payton needs to be doing point of attack and then Wiggins, who's been coming off the bench mostly recently, but is finding himself, I would say, overall. And then like what, what the hell do you do with Chris Paul and everything else? So this might be like arguing about 15 minute a game, guys, even if Pajemski is starting when healthy at the moment due to injury. I, I actually think Pajemski is better on defense than Moody is. I agree. Uh, particularly in the team concept. But I mean, both of them rebound. Pajemski, though, gives you more passing, more penetration. So I, I think that's why they want him out there, uh, just as another ball handler, in the absence of Draymond in particular. I still think that their best groups, in theory, maybe Andrew Wiggins looks like he's coming back, and now he's he's back to kind of really struggling again. Kaminga has been really good. I think he's got like, you know, 11 double-figure games in a row, something like that. But I still think their best group is Draymond at the five with Wiggins and Kaminga. At least their highest upside group is that. And I think that's in a real playoff setting. Like I would actually want to start that against most teams. But if you, if Draymond is out, then you it's really hard to play Wiggins and Kaminga together because you just don't have enough ball handling other than Steph Curry. You need one other ball handler other than Steph Curry. And that's kind of where Pajemski fits into it. They don't want to start Chris Paul next to Steph Curry. That's just a little bit too small. Uh, and you need a center out there. So, it, and you're not going to not start Clay Thompson and Clay Thompson is starting to play a lot better. And they, they desperately need his shooting to really come around and stay around. Um, you know, G- GP is someone maybe who could get pushed a little bit more to the fringes. I think it really depends where you're struggling. Are you struggling on defense? Are you struggling on offense? Moody brings something where if he's not being guarded, he's going to take advantage of that either with a drive and a pass or, or the three-point shot. Like same thing with Kaminga, same thing with Pods where, you know, Wiggins in, in his current form isn't doing that. Obviously, Kevon Looney is not doing that necessarily. They have a lot of options, so it's going to be it's going to be really interesting for Steve Kerr to try to figure this out and particularly with the emergence of Jackson Davis. But I do ultimately think like unless Kevon Looney, like he's going to continue to get chances because of what he's done for the team. But unless there's like a specific big center for Kevon Looney to guard, I think he should not be in the rotation because that's the thrust of the question, right? There's so many of these guys who are good now, not great, 
but good that you need to like spending time on a guy who's not effective just for tradition it, like they can't afford to do that they have the possibility of having good players out there at every at every time let's get to denver here 20 and 10 quietly have righted the ship six and one since we last checked in on them they are eighth in net rating 4.6 offense is ninth defense is 12th they project actually still to tie for that one seed mm-hmm. at 54 and 28 with the Wolves. That'll be an interesting battleground going back and forth. Wolves have the advantage in the loss column right now. 100% chance of the playoffs. That's pretty good. But, and yeah. we can do the question from John Colley asking about how the, the, the starting five numbers compare to last year. And if you want to look at it so far this year, so that's Jamal Murray, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, MPJ, Gordon and Jokic, plus 13 point six net rating in 525 cleaning the glass possessions what was it last year plus 12.7 in 15 almost 1500 cleaning the glass possessions so in terms of pure net rating about the same yeah still awesome not not a ton uh, to add to that one since that was a very straightforward question should reggie jackson be in the conversation for sixth man hmm i mean it reggie jackson also like it, it happens a lot where a player like so a lot of the value that he provides is in the games that he starts because playing with Jokic make does make that a lot easier but to run through some of the stats we like on this 57 percent true shooting on 22 usage so far this year 15 per and I would say no. If he's not closing games, then no. That that's usually my rule on that. He's still a limited defensive player, and yeah, I mean, in the conversation at this point, like this is this is broad. Let's see where the rest of the year goes. He's definitely been better than he was last year. I'm feeling I'm not feeling as dismal about the decision that Calvin Booth made to retain him, even if some of the no, of course not. Other, like he he's been effective. It's actually worked yeah. out fine, and, and they've needed him more yeah. in some ways because of the what Jamal Murray's been dealing with over the course of the year but for six man of the year i mean generally for me it's a guy who doesn't start but is a part of your best five and can close games for you and there there will be players who fit that bill even if this year has been a little bit unusual at the start we got two different questions from bill and nathan about peyton watson and they're they go in two different directions um one is like do you think he can contribute to the playoff rotation and then do you think that he um can develop in into a starting level player. And so starting with the more present one, do I think he can contribute? Yes, I do. I I think that Michael Malone will have to pick and choose a little bit because Watson, he's limited offensively in ways that playoff opponents are more keyed in on than regular season opponents are. Like he's not taking that many, not taking that many threes. He's an an inconsistent three-point shooter, but he can be an opportunistic shot blocker. He can, at times you can, he's been worse rebounding this year, but it's also kind of what he's been asked to do so yes i think he can contribute but in terms of whether peyton watson can develop into a starting caliber player i'm gonna need more time to evaluate his overall level of defense there he has good physical tools he has shown signs like one of the things that you look for at for a young guy this is watson's age 21 season are the wow moments and you definitely see some of the wow moments for watson but those are only a part of the equation the other is like what can you do offensively to consistently help your team what can you defense I'm going to need to see more to fully evaluate that. Yeah, and Watson, when he's playing with Jokic 
can be really effective because he's got a lot of size and the fact that he can't shoot doesn't matter because Jokic can get him set up for cuts uh, against smaller players uh, and it's just not as much uh, of an issue now if we see the other team try to put their center on Peyton Watson Aaron Gordon in game three he didn't close because of that tactic against the Lakers but largely was able to make other teams pay for that approach Watson is a worse shooter than Gordon just doesn't have the same cutting ability strength to duck in that sort of thing maybe still not the same rugged offensive rebounder that Gordon is either doesn't quite have the same chemistry with Jokic and then also when you're talking about him playing the four without Jokic that can get uh, I think a little bit difficult uh, as well now if you're going to play him at backup center with Aaron Gordon you know is that uh, enough like can he fit into that Jeff Green role again we'll see like early returns are good like I think he's played well enough for them trying to do what is needed the Jokic off numbers uh, have still been a struggle for the Nuggets like you don't expect Peyton Watson to like fix their offense when Nikola Jokic is off the floor that's asking too much but he's done enough to hold up defensively and he's been you know he makes some mistakes but he also plays hard and runs the floor in transition so I, I think we'll find out in the playoffs for sure but I think he can give them what they need in the playoffs I'm not going to say like oh they're these guys I'm not picking them to come out of the west because Peyton Watson isn't good enough I don't expect to be in that position John asks is there any moves the Nuggets should look to make at the deadline and considering unless ownership is significantly willing to like and I'm not criticizing them they're spending more than I expected them to the Nuggets are over 12 million beyond the tax line right now I I don't think of anything that they can that realistically they could do you assume that their starting five isn't going to change so then is there something they could do with picks plus basically no no additional salary because those are all the players on their team who make any money to to add somebody who's going to really make a difference in their playoff rotation i mean i maybe you could get somebody on the buyout market or something like that but realistically i think they have to hope that their best guys are healthy and that it's hard to add even like the eighth best player to a team this good they have a couple more seconds they could trade for thomas bryant or or javel mcgee maybe oh boy shore up but backup center it would still be nice if they had a backup center that was better than Zeke Naji or DeAndre Jordan like a real backup center but yeah I don't know if there's someone that you're gonna get who's gonna be better than Peyton Watson or Julian Strother or Reggie Jackson or Christian Braun right if that's who you're actually talking about upgrading on if you're not going to give up a first round pick I don't know that that player and, and especially if you're not if you can't really take on money not only for this year but moving forward because you're gonna give KCP his raise and and you know eventually other players so it's like the 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 the, the needle that you have to thread is so narrow for Denver to improve that you could try. You should, they should, Calumbu should have lots of conversations, but I don't expect it to happen. Yeah, and also worth noting that they are buyout limited. They will. Uh, that's right. They will not be able to get a guy who is making more than the mid level on the buyout market. Should they want to go that route for a big? I don't think there really are any bigs who are going to get waived who are making more than that these days. Anything else on the Nugs? I think we can move on to our last team first alphabetically. The Dallas Mavericks. They are 16 and 12 on the year, three and four since the last 1560, though they have had some player availability issues. Net rating plus 0.1 is 17th, 10th in offense, 23rd in defense. BPI projects them to win 43 games, which would be eighth in the West, and have a 63% chance of making the playoffs. We got a question from Matt 
asking basically um, after being 30th and 28th in pace the last two seasons, the Dallas Mavericks are 10th this year. What's going on there? One basic thing that you can point to when Kyrie Irving is on the floor, reminder that this includes a lot of Luka minutes. The Dallas Mavericks have their playing in transition more than 20% of the time, 20, about 21% then. And that goes to like high teens when he sits. And that's, you know, the difference between a lot of these isn't necessarily well, that. L- let me give you those Luka on sure. and uh, Kyrie off stats and then the Kyrie on Luka off stats in okay. terms of transition because that the, my watching them this has been the case and I want to totally confirm that with the numbers so Luka on Kyrie off they never ever run 13% of the time per cleaning the glass Kyrie on and Luka off 17% of the time they run so that's 91st percentile and the a big part of why uh the Kyrie on Luka off minutes uh, have gone so well they have a 123 offensive rating overall Kyrie on Luka off the other thing I can point to here just in general too Derek Lively is another guy who increases mm-hmm. their transition just with the way his athleticism run the floor Dante Exum when he's on the floor they've run more he gives them another guy who will run or has enough ball handling to push the ball I mean, there are times in the past when they would play lineups where Luca was the only ball handler and Luca is never going to push in transition so you're just going to be in the half court every single time in that scenario this way Luca either can have guys running the floor that he can get a hit ahead to or guys who can take it themselves and uh, Derek Jones Jr. gives them more in transition as well uh, just a, another athletic player so they just Josh Green they run more when he's out there he's been out with this elbow issue so they have more guys than in the past when it was Luca Dinwiddie Finney Smith Reggie Block also just they have fewer guys who just like totally don't even dribble like Tim Hardaway Jr. also will like take a quick three in transition he usually boosts their pace a little bit when he's out there he's not necessarily pushing the ball but he's someone you can throw it to who will bounce into a three from the wing and transition uh and i'm sure jason kidd is stressing running uh, at every possible opportunity as well ernst lubinch asked um what is Derek lively's season or ceiling this season and what is the map season if lively reaches his first of all like i mean it, a single season ceiling it's not going to be dramatically different than like the better version of the player that we've seen right now lively's room protection numbers um per seth stats are they're better than i anticipated going into the season his contest rate's really high teams are making more of those but they're contesting it well he's a wonderful like play finisher pick and roll partner and a like if he's even like a positive defender that is for a rookie that is very good overall like i mean not giving you infinite scheme versatility but like so i think he can be the you know ideally the third or fourth best player on the maps does that seem is that a realistic ceiling if we want to call it that way well i think uh in the playoffs his realistic ceiling is six fouls that's the most you can have (laughs) (laughs) no i'm kidding there i do think it's going to be very matchup dependent for lively if he's got to guard someone in the post who's a veteran or or one of these guys who's gonna get on the offensive glass get physical with him like i could see him having a limited impact in a lot of playoff games if they do get that far so yeah i think just like you know a quality 20 25 minute a game starter probably not closing a lot of it depends too on if maxi kleba ever comes back from this dislocated toe that's that injury is so weird by the way it's like it's like oh yeah i had this dislocated toe i think guys have like tried to play on this before and he played it i can't remember it was one or two guys i think he tried to play one game and we haven't seen him since <laughs> it was yeah. like uh, I, I, but i don't think it was ever reported he had a surgery is it like we've never gotten like an actual timeline 
on him. So I don't know what's going on with Moxie Kleba, but you're starting to wonder, at least with his athletic decline the last couple of years as well, like how much he's going to be able to contribute. Sure, they would love to be able to play him and Grant Williams and Derek Jones Jr. up front. You know, that that would be nice. Maybe you could fit Axum in there. Like if you could get the old version of Kleba, I mean, that would be so massive. I'm just not sure that guy is there anymore. So, but I, I think, yeah, and if Kleba isn't available, then they're going to play Derek Lively every minute he can handle in the playoffs. It'll just be a question of mm-hmm. whether he fouls out or not. Uh, but obviously his dunking is really useful for Luca as well around the rim. He'll offensive rebound. He runs the floor. He's got some defensive mobility. He's the only guy on this team who's ever even thought about blocking a shot. Uh, <laughs> we he I talked to in that game against the Clippers about how having Luca as the low help man is just so destructive to their defense and so lively can really help relieve him from those responsibilities just opens up a lot more scheme wise for you as well um let's hit this one uh on the Mavs trading so let's just talk about what they even have available in terms of picks if they wanted to make yeah. a move Dallas their their first rounder likely to the next likely conveys this year it's top 10 protected in 24 who knows maybe we'll see something like last year I don't expect it at this juncture but then Dallas also owes their 2029 pick to Brooklyn and they have a swap with that that wild swap with San Antonio in 2030 so there is a window for them to trade one first round pick you could if the other team bought for sure no because it would have to be 26 at the earliest so you couldn't really do you couldn't do two um they could do maybe you could try to finagle something to try to convince another team that you could do something else and that but it really is like one first round pick maybe like one and a half depending on how you want to structure it they have no extras they have a couple second round picks but none of them are particularly enticing and then another challenge for the Mavs in terms of trade assets is that they basically have no one on an expiring contract and everyone who we would say is on a positive value contract is a player they intend to keep yep absolutely Uh, and would they consider moving Derek Lively a second in a deal to get like I mean I think they would only do that if there were like a third star level player they felt that they could acquire now could they uh, Jeremy Grant has seemed like a logical fit for them for a long time their long-term salary would certainly take a hit but it is kind of do or die time so you know would Hardaway Jr. Rashawn Holmes and a 2026 first get it done to get Jeremy Grant from the Blazers I would do that deal as the Blazers would you do that as the Mavs do you think that Grant and Grant can play together Williams and Jeremy in this case yeah of course yeah why not yeah I mean the the defensive assignments get a little bit weird just because both them are better you know better on forwards but you have enough forwards to defend like then Luca's guard defending guards more often in all likelihood yeah to bring it full circle with Portland would you be willing to go a 2028 pick swap with maybe another second oh, they're pretty low on seconds if memory serves and Rashawn Holmes for Matisse Seibel probably yeah from Portland's perspective I mean you get some upside you get out of well Seibel has a player option for the last year of his deal but um yeah, yeah. I, I think from from Portland's perspective I'm 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 still skeptical on some of what Seibel has done um but that that's the type of trade that could make both teams better yeah now you do you I don't like as a team having like a block of time where my draft is not controlled so you would go from 28 to 30 then with your draft Mm -hmm. not controlled you don't feel too good about that 
just in terms of actually charting your direction as a team if you have a a year or two maybe where you owe a pick you can navigate that a little bit more once you get up to three it's like oh man that's a big swath of time there shout out to the hawks well and of course the nets are the original of that from 16 to 18 where they gave up the third first and eighth picks over a three-year period (sighs) oh actually here a little breaking news before we go on the lakers here danny gabe vincent strongly considering surgery on his left knee i was very concerned when he came back played all right didn't play on the back-to-back that's fine but then when he was considered doubtful for their next game so he's strongly considering surgery with a timetable of six to eight weeks he rehabbed for two months but the swelling is back procedure is now really likelihood we don't know exactly what is wrong with that knee i guess this might be it feels like kind of like a debridement or something like that mm-hmm. uh so that'll be that's a real bummer like he was a really good signing for them they would be much better off if they had just re-signed dennis schroeder to that deal but that's, instead that, at this point. that's also complicated in terms of the trade deadline right. because he, they have other matching salary to consider but a team is potentially significantly less interested in Gabe Vincent as filler yeah. than they were I before. thought Gabe Vincent was going to be in their closing lineup with Austin Reeves because he could shoot and defend on the perimeter like I thought he would be an even possibly an upgrade from them for them over shooter and for him to just not be available this whole season is a killer it looks like mm-hmm. it's heading that way all right then we will talk to you on Christmas night of course it is a dunked on tradition to do all five games which we shall and we will talk to you all then thanks so much for joining and that episode uh, will be available exclusively to subscribers so a great chance to sign up here this is a, a public episode go to the link in your show notes and either as a gift or, or a gift for yourself Dunton prime is the best way we hope uh, to increase your appreciation of the nba talk to y'all christmas night at bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.